Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Welcome one and all to the Two Tongues Podcast. Yeah. Your guests, Kyle and Chris. Kyle, what's up, man? My name is Prison Mike, actually. Prison this is Mike. what I got going on my do-rag currently. So my buddy Kyle sitting across <laughs> from me. Uh, well, first of all, it's like going to be 80 degrees today, which is unusual. He's wearing a hoodie, long-sleeve pants, and a, and, a, and a do-rag. Not just any do-rag, ladies and gentlemen, but a neon green do-rag. Hell yeah. It's my, it's my face mask, just in case I need to run into a gas station or something. And, uh, it, you know, my hair is right at that length where it's in my eyes all the fucking time, so it, it's uh, convenient. Chelsea hit me with the uh, the prison mic, though. I was like, that cracks me up, man. You know, well, you you get that reference, oh, right? It's an office reference. Yeah, yes, I figured you did. I would be, I'd be not, not a very good human person if I didn't know that. Agreed. It's like one of the best TV shows ever. Uh, it's a little surprising to me that Chelsea knows it, though, because it just seems like, well, she's not that much younger than, no. than us. but just No, sort she's of like just a couple years younger. Yeah, but, you know, like... Um, like um, Jeff, the guy that we call Beautiful Jeff, Beautiful uh, he, Jeff. He's only a couple of couple of years younger than us, and he doesn't get any re- of the references. Really? None of them. None I wonder of them. if that's, um, excuse me, a product of age, or if that's a product of just like different cultural circles. You know, different. You know, yeah, there's like cultures within cultures, and yeah. you know, yeah, maybe, maybe. But you've got a guy who was. Um, Boy, man, I'm trying to think how much younger than he he is than me, but it's less than five years. That that dude, he's never seen Back to the Future. Wow. He didn't watch he didn't watch um, Power Rangers growing up. It's like what what were you doing, Jeff? What was he doing? Just being beautiful. That's what Just he was being doing. Being beautiful. It's hard, you know. That's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on today, man? Um, lots of things. So uh, we threw together an episode which is. It's kind of like the rest of the material that we didn't get through when we did our opinions and ideas episode, which I got some pretty good feedback on. People seem to like that. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Um, feedback is always good. Yeah. Yeah, we like feedback. Audience, give us some feedback. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I ended up sending out, sending out the podcast to a bunch of people that I hadn't sent it to yet because, we, you know, I don't, I don't exactly know why. Maybe I was... Uh, like waiting till we got a little better or something, or I was—I honestly don't know. But the point is, I didn't really share this with anybody, and until recently. Yeah, you decided this is the pinnacle. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. So I um, so I ended up getting a, a few people 
listening who weren't before, and some of those people had some things to say. Mostly nice things, man. Mostly nice things. Mostly. Do we have some criticism? Um, people talking about had that fucking anarchist on your show as an idiot, <laughs> that kind of stuff. No, no, not not really anything that critical. My, you know, my brother though, he keeps telling me that we need to have uh, a woman on. We need to have yeah. we need to have my wife on, maybe or somebody who can like break up the conversation with with a uh, an opinion that doesn't fit the ping pong game that you and I are playing yeah. just to shake things up a little bit. And maybe that would be good. But you know, when you got two, when you got two kids and one of the adults is uh, po- podcasting, then, you know, you can't exactly, you can't exactly have both parents doing that, Kyle. They'll be fine, dude. The kids <laughs> will be fine. I mean, you, you know, Jonathan Haidt, the, the coddling of the American mind. Uh, yep. You just leave those kids upstairs uh, and they will be stronger, better humans for it. That's a good point. Uh, you know, can't argue with that. Not going to burn the house down, and if you do, if they do, you know, yep. sh- shit happens, dude. So, so this morning, <laughs> this this it was going to be a nice day today, and like the next three days is going to be super rainy and shitty. So this morning, Jessica and I took the girls to the park, and so uh, so our youngest is two. She's not even two, and she's going down this slide. That's uh, there's two slides at the park, one little, one big. She wants to go down the big slide. Yeah. And at first, I'm like sitting there at the bottom of the slide, waiting to catch her, mm-hmm. encouraging her so that she doesn't feel scared. Um, but she kept wanting to go back on it, getting more and more excited. And then finally, I thought to myself, "Don't, don't, don't coddle her." Like exactly like you said. I'm like, just let her, let her do this. Don't, don't, you know, don't be there so that she has to. She's always looking for you to be there. You know, yeah. that, that's not that's not the way to teach her how to grow up. So I let her go down, and she lifts up her feet so that her feet, her shoes don't slow her down at all. And she fucking guns down that slide. And uh, she's, she was going too fast to catch herself. And so when I decided not to be there, she went right off onto her butt. Uh, and it, pretty hard, actually. And uh, But she was fine. She, yeah. she got up and brushed herself off and went right back to it. Hell yeah. And that's the point, Kyle. That's the point. That's what we need to teach our kids. Hell yeah. That's some Jordan Peterson shit right there. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where else to go with that. Yep. So, uh, so we're gonna so we're gonna finish some of the topics that we didn't get to from ideas, ideas and opinions, and I got some others that I put together um, to add to the list. And then another thing that we talked about doing was um, going back to your um, pieces fit episode. Yeah. Where you were trying to break down music, and we had an audio problem. We're gonna also this it's like gonna be kind of an experiment with new technology. We're mm. gonna see how this uh just spreading our wings a little bit, seeing what we can and can't do exactly so exactly so um at some point during the conversation today, we're gonna try to do something like that what you did before, and I'm gonna let you drive the car. It's gonna be a little bit different than what I did mo i'm not we're not really gonna analyze the music all that much i i do i wanna listen to the songs with you and get your interpretation or your um impression of them just as songs yeah but then i want to go over the lyrics and just talk about that kind of stuff a little bit yeah, that sounds awesome um but this is the, like we're, we still have more technological um growth to go on before i can really do the tool episode i want with you because i we need to be able to watch the music video uh, that's key for two particular tool songs and i really hope you don't do any like research into tool. I, I, it's got it, yeah. like a genuine reaction. I will do that. I will, I will avoid it and yeah. we'll, and we'll do it naturally. Um, here's the thing. Um, do you know if we have the video plan, if we end up with a video on YouTube, obviously that's a, 
it's it, not. I mean, the, nobody's. We don't record video, so nobody's going to be able to see it well, anyway. Right, but I thought that's what you said you wanted to do. It, it doesn't matter. Oh no, I do. I want you to be able to see the oh, video. I, I mean, you know, we yeah. don't do video, so I'm not really worried. It'll be. I feel like it'll be just as good content with people just listening. I mean, you can you can go watch the tool video yourself yeah. if you want to. Yeah, I did the same thing with the um, the episode I did on. Uh, uh, hum- animal human hybrids. Yeah, yeah. Can you do the Alex Jones voice on that? I can't do it. Animal right. human hybrid. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I okay. started to choke there. Either way, um, when I did that episode, I was just telling the. Uh, I was looking up the images on the computer while I was talking about them, mm-hmm. but I was just telling the audience to uh, look oh. and look it up yourself. Like, you know, yep. I'll, I'll wait. Dan Carlin does that shit, so it's yeah. fine. It is fine. Yeah. Dan Carlin's like one of the best podcasters in the world, so we can follow his lead. Yeah, I, I love Dan Carlin, but I haven't listened to him in ages. No, not even the hardcore history stuff? Um, no, because I I hadn't got new episodes, and my my oh, really? my impression was that he that they weren't free anymore. And so, oh no, it still is. I mean, he releases like two episodes a year. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, all right, fair enough. Yep. Uh, how anything new with you before we jump into this stuff, buddy? No, nah, man. You know, I like I woke up the other day, and I was thinking about this. I woke up the other day, and my ankle. I've got a slight limp right now. Mm. It was a lot worse yesterday. Um, and I just woke up. I have no idea what I did. I just mm-hmm. woke up and my ankle was hurting. Um, and I remember, you know, being young where things like that never happened. You know, e- even when I was hurt, I wasn't really hurt. Yeah. Um, but now I just wake up and my ankle's hurting and I know that I'm just like, ah, eh, I'll just deal with the pain for a few days and it'll go away. And I, I'm pretty much right all the time. Yep. But that makes me think it's like, I woke up with a pain in my ankle that wasn't there and that never used to happen. So right. eventually... I'm going to be like, oh, it'll go away in a few days and it's not going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to, I'm going to be further deteriorating as a human being. I think you're right. Yeah. That's scary. It's it is a scary, scary. thought. We should, probably, we should probably get in better shape. First of all, Yeah, that's true. Um, so I had this similar experience where I hurt, I hurt my back and I've had problems with my back from time to time, even going back to like to being a teenager. So it's like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the other day I, I hurt my back and, and I kept like not letting it heal. And it was, it was really fucking annoying me for like two weeks and then finally it felt better and I reached down and I grabbed my youngest daughter by the arms and mm-hmm. I lift I lift Ooh. her up now listen because because if you don't bend over like bend with your knees and lift heavy objects properly then you run the risk of hurting your back and when you're always picking up your kids you don't think about it sure so I reached down and gra- I grabbed her by the arms so that I wouldn't be bending over at the waist and I lifted her up straight up and I pulled something in my neck. Oh, fuck. Now, that's happened to me before, but it, it never hurt longer than like, you know, a couple of minutes. This thing hurt me for days. Damn. It, it was like three or four days, and every time I would turn my neck one direction, it, it was like I had, to do, I had to do it very gingerly and slowly, and it hurt I, like a I mother. Neck pain is the worst. Oh. And you try to like toss and turn at night while you're sleeping, and usually you just... That you're not even conscious of that. Yeah. Yeah. Try doing that with your neck hurt. It wakes you up. Yeah. So you roll over and suddenly you're awake and you're, you know. Yeah. And in pain. <laughs> so getting old. The point is don't get old, guys. It's, try not to. Try not to get old. Um, All right. So yeah. anything else? No. No. All right. I'm going to. So it's really difficult. One of the things that I, especially with the ideas and opinions episode, and I liked it. Uh, and I think we should do more of that. It's a little bit less structured and we can kind of bounce around and do whatever we want. Um, so I've got a list of things that we can do that with. The problem is that they don't all follow the, a similar theme. Mm-hmm. So I'm struggling with like how to make how to make a narrative out of it. So I, I think maybe what we'll do is we'll just stick with segments. I'll group together the intellectual stuff we'll, and we'll group together the uh, the less intellectual stuff. Something like that. Sure. Um, so I'm going to start 
with this because I wanted to get to this the last time and I didn't. I kind of on purpose didn't because I kind of wanted to do a solo episode about this. Okay. So I was selfishly like holding on, holding on to it. Do I bring this up? Do we we talk about it? But sometimes I, I think that the solo episodes would be better if you were on them. Sure. Um, so let's try it. All right. And this, this won't be like full fledged, you know, like I probably could flush it out more and make it a longer if I was doing it a solo podcast. But here's the idea. I'm watching a uh, documentary on, um, I can't remember now. It was, it's called, um, secrets of quantum physics. I think it was on Hulu or, you know, something like that. Gotcha. And it's this guy, Jim Akalili. Do you know Jim Akalili? Nope. So he's one of these guys that, he's a British guy. Uh, he's from, he he's, must be from like the Middle East or something, but he but he's a, born in, in Great Britain. He's got an English accent. Got it. He works, he's a professor at the University of Surrey. Okay. I don't know where Surrey is, but it sounds English as fuck. Yeah. So J- Jim Akalili, he's a, a physics professor there. And he did this uh, documentary about quantum physics, which I love. I'm, I'm, I dig that. I, I, I watch quantum physics documentaries as I'm going to sleep. That's my fucking favorite. Uh, I can't exactly explain to you why, probably because I don't understand it well and I really want to understand it better. So I feel I'm just like subliminally like letting myself sleep and listen to this intelligent guy talk. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, But the point is he, he does this whole documentary about quantum physics. One little piece of it though, he, he calls quantum nose, the quantum nose. And this is the story he tells, and we'll expound on this, but this is where I'm going to start with. So he says, um, when the scientists were trying to figure out what, where smells come from, how people smell, mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out what, what that is. As science progresses, they realize that there's molecules that come off of things and that they plug into your receptors in your, in your nose. And, uh, and the shape of the molecule, they thought, was responsible for the, um, for the smell. Mm-hmm. So the shape of the molecule of a lilac, you know, was a certain smell and the shape of, uh, of a molecule of whatever dog poop, another smell, sure. that kind of thing. And, um, and so this is what he said, but then he says that, uh, and he, he does this where he'll like talk about the history of, uh, scientific advancements and he, that he uses that as the narrative. So he says, eventually they find out that it's not the shape of the molecule. And the reason they, the, the, the way they found it out was that there was some chemical and I, I didn't put it in my notes, but it was like a vanilla smell or something. So like you smell vanilla or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then there was another smell and it was some kind of a poison, some kind of a like cyanide or something. I don't know, some kind of a poison, but it has the same smell. So like, okay, you got these two molecules that are very different, but when you smell them, they smell exactly the same. So it can't be that the molecule's shape is responsible for the smell. So what, what is it then? And this is what they found out that when they, when you, when you see how the molecules' atoms are vibrating, every molecule has a different uh, frequency, a different, slightly different vibration. The molecule of the poison and the vanilla, uh, they vibrate at the same frequency. Mm-hmm. So that when they found that out, they're like, okay, it doesn't have anything to do with the shape of the molecule. It has to do with how it's vibrating. So I'll say that again. You smell things based upon how they are vibrating. You smell the vibration. Mm-hmm. Does that blow your mind? First of all, it definitely it's definitely weird to think about. Um, it, you smell the vibration. Yep. Um, what does that What does that mean? So, something like this, as best I can figure. Um, you got these receptor cells for all your senses that have something to do with getting the signal 
uh, from your from your body to your brain so that you can have an experience. Okay, in this case, a smell, mm-hmm. and um, and the vibration translates into electrical impulses through those receptors that go to your brain. So really, what your brain is interpreting as smell is electrical impulses, and mm-hmm. those electrical impulses are created by vibrating atoms. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, you know, it's weird. I, I I try to imagine um, like a like a kid's sound machine where every button you hit plays a different note or something like that and it's like every button you hit is a different atom it's like helium hydrogen you know or whatever and and uh it's not just the atoms that vibrate it's the connections between them that vibrate so when you have a molecule that's made up of multiple atoms you can almost imagine that like a song mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about music today so maybe this is uh you know um this could connect it uh that the vibration of the atoms um together that all of, all of those things are, you, like say you have water, you have hydrogen and, and uh, oxygen um, um, atoms, they're, and they're vibrating, and the connections between them are vibrating. So you might imagine that as like several different instruments, you know, play, playing some sort of a sound, and you get this musical kind of uh, image. Yeah. But whatever that is, um, the vibration itself tr- translates into some kind of electrical impulse that shoots up in your brain and gives you this experience. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. I, it makes me wonder why if the poison and the vanilla are vibrating at the same frequency and that's why you smell them as the same thing, like why when you eat one is one delicious and makes you fat and the other one is <laughs> going to kill you. So, well, that's interesting. So the reason I started with this quantum nose story is because that's where I first piqued my curiosity about sure. about about your senses and how they work. Mm-hmm. So then I decided, uh, you know, if smell is a vibration um and uh i just wondered if the other senses might be something like that and i'm getting i'm Mm. getting i'm getting to a deeper point here i'm gonna it's gonna get hippy dippy at one point but um the next thing that i had on the list was sight so how does how does vision work well let's let's ask let's ask the question so what happens in sight is you've got electromagnetic radiation uh which is just another way of saying energy Mm -hmm. and to be honest with you i can't I don't exactly know the difference between like energy and and electromagnetic radiation. I don't I don't know if there's a difference between those two. I don't think two. there is. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I don't think there is. I think that's a type of, you know, doesn't right. it seem like a type of energy? Yeah, but that's the thing, man. I, <laughs> this just this is just shining a light on my ignorance here. Maybe I shouldn't do that while, while I'm talking about this, but <laughs> um but it's interesting because um there're different types of energy and you learn in like science class growing up there's potential energy and kinetic energy and there's mm-hmm. you you've know, exhausted them all that's all I know <laughs> whatever man there's a thermal uh, thermo, energy thermodynamic whatever all this yeah. stuff I don't know if all of those things are unique or if they're all some version of electromagnetic radiation I don't know oh, okay. but, but when people say electromagnetic radiation they talk about the force involved with electricity mm-hmm. the force involved with magnetism and um, and light and the whole spectrum of light from the Gamma, uh, the gamma waves, all the way to the um, ultraviolet. Yeah, ultraviolet. Um, so, how the, all of those things are one is is beyond me. You know, that's, but it's fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, back to sight. So <laughs> sight, sight is the interpretation of waves of electromagnetic radiation, which is the wavelength and the amplitude. So what we are seeing is the is the wave is the wave pattern of the light, whatever that is. Um, and then it goes on to say that, uh, oh, that 
by the way, if you didn't know this, the wavelength and the amplitude, they correspond to the color and the brightness. Okay. So that, that's, that's interesting by itself. That I'm is, just yeah. trying to imagine a wave and the way it looks. And just by the way it looks, um, in terms of the, the shape and size of the wave, that's going to it be interpreted to me as something of a certain color or brightness. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. There seems to be a disconnect there. Um, so anyway, the eyes have receptors just like the ears have receptors that take these, uh, these, this energy, converts it into electrical impulses, send it, sends it to your brain, and this is, this is how we, we see. Um, there are ner- neurons in your eyes. Okay. So I didn't know that. I didn't either. Neurons, I thought, were brain cells. Okay. But there are neurons in your eyes. Um, I guess neurons is just another word for a nerve cell, and that's what take oh. that's what takes these what communicates with your brain basically. Oh, okay. Um, Very it, interesting. And when I was looking up this one, th- this was kind of interesting because it said that what your brain interprets is da- data about the light. So the light doesn't get to your brain; it just goes into your eye, mm-hmm. and then the message goes to your brain. Yeah. So if you think about it, what your brain is getting is information about the light, and that's crazy. I, that's very crazy, especially when you consider that I don't know what that information is other than the wavelength and the and the uh, uh, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't know what the, what information is in the light. Yeah, that's cra- that's really weird, man. To think that that like your brain, the thing that is making decisions, it, like I I'm imagining like Jocko Willink, like a, a military commander, making all these decisions for a troop. Uh, but he's like locked in an office somewhere and he's just getting like information about the battlefield, oh, you know? Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. That's a good way of putting it. So, so this, so data about the light goes from your neurons in your eyes um, through your optic nerve into your brain and that goes into the visual cortex, which is what creates the, the experience of sight. Got it. So, all right, I'm just going to stop there for a second and say, we're talking about smell mm-hmm. and we're talking about sight. And, yep. and in both cases, we're talking about interpreting, um, we're talking about interpreting electrical impulses, um, by, by your brain. Yeah. So energy somehow gets translated into electricity that your brain interprets. That's what we're dealing with. All right. So I did have to look up electromagnetic radiation because I wanted to see it's, it's one thing to, to read you the sentence, but I don't understand it. So I have yeah. to ask, you know, if sight is interpreting electromagnetic radiation, what is that? So here we go. Electromagnetic radiation are waves of an electromagnetic field propagating through space that carry with it electromagnetic energy. So that, that makes about as much sense to me as the look on your face is, is telling me it means to you. But somehow there are waves that run through space that carry energy um, this is called electromagnetic radiation. Yeah, that's like that's literally all I take from it is that there's some kind of fucking wave thing that carries energy, and that's I don't know. So you imagine that that those come from the sun? Are you th- you think they might because that's where, that's where the light's coming from? But yeah. I'm not sure that's true, especially when you consider that uh, that space has energy without even without stars or matter in it. Mm-hmm. It's it's called uh, vacuum energy. So where's, is that electromagnetic energy or is that something else? That's a good question. I don't fucking know. All right, so when Where's I... fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson when you need him? We need Neil. We need... Uh, Niles Bohr. <laughs> resurrect that <laughs> motherfucker. So, so anyway, so electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation of these waves, um, the waves of an electromagnetic field. So now I have to, now I have to define what, the, what is an electromagnetic field. What is that? Here we go. 
It's a property of space. Yeah. Caused by the motion of an electric charge. So an electromagnetic field is a property of space. What does that mean? A property of space, like an like an elemental property of space. That's what it's saying. It's ca- it's caused by the motion of an electric charge. But the fact that it says it's a property of space means it's not a property of of uh, the energy. It's like a property of the space the energy travels yeah. through. It's like space somehow it can create energy or radiate energy. I don't understand it. I don't either. Um, so you know, and this is by the way, this all this stuff I'm telling you comes from a. Uh, a video I saw uh, trying to figure figure this stuff out. Uh, it's called um, How Vision Works. It's, it was done by the Australian Academy of Science, like a nine and a half minute video if you want to watch it. Uh, but it talks about all this stuff. Um, so I don't want to get bogged down on the spe- specifics. I want to move to the next sense and talk about hearing. Yeah. This one's pretty straightforward yeah, as far as vibration goes. Exactly, yeah. Right, so this is called auditory transduction. That's what hearing is. Auditory transduction. So I'm gonna I'm I'm bored saying that word, but I want to I want to read this to you. What that what that word means is converting sound waves into electrical impulses that capture data about those waves. So again, we're talking about frequency and amplitude of the waves. So um, so those waves hit your ear. They hit those receptor cells that turn them into electricity that shoots it to your brain that gives you the the sensation of hearing. And then taste, this was the only one that uh, didn't fit as much as I thought it would. Um, and it basically says that there's a chemical interaction between your taste buds and the food that you eat, That's that is, but basically does the th- same thing. It sends information about those chemical reactions to your brain that you translate into, uh, into flavors or taste. And then touch, this is the last one, and this is the, um, uh, this, this is where it starts to get hippy-dippy. So... So just like all the other senses we're talking about, um, when you when you touch something, you get a vibration. It's mm-hmm. a vibration uh, that sends uh, messages from your nerve cells to your brain and your spinal cord. So it's the same thing we've been talking about with all these other things. Here's the thing. Atoms that make up everything, you and me, never touch. They never, yeah. they never touch because they... Well, they're attracted. They're attracted to opposite charged particles. So it's like a, a magnet trying to touch a magnet together. It's never going to happen. Um, that the electrical waves and the electrons that they'll sometimes kind of overlap each other, mm-hmm. but that they will. Ne- the atoms themselves will never, ever, ever touch. And what that means is that that when you when, when you reach out and touch something, it feels as though you're touching something, but you're never actually touching anything. Yeah. What you feel is not your finger pressing against the mouse or the table or your face. What you feel is the electro uh, the uh, waves, the electron waves surrounding the atoms of the of the um, uh, atoms that make up your body and the table or whatever you're touching. So what you're sensing is not touching anything in in, in reality. It's just sensing the vibration of the electric field. Yeah. All right, so long story short, every single one of these senses seems to boil down to in your your body interpreting vibrations um, from you know waves of, of energy, a field. In every single one of these instances, electromagnetic field or whatever it is, that that's what you're sensing. Mm-hmm. So here's so here's where I'm getting at. If everything you experience is it can be can be summed up as an experience of some kind of a vibration, then then all of your, all of your experiences, um, are experiences of vibration. Um, 
in our, in our brains, they, we, we turn them into all these things that we see and feel and taste and touch and all that. But in reality, all we're interacting with is a vibration. Mm-hmm. And if that's true for, for human beings and for all of life all the way back to the beginning, then what, then what we're adapted to is vibration. Okay. What the fuck does that mean? So that this is one of those hippy dippy things where, um, I, I just wonder what you think about that. I don't know what to think about uh, us being adapted to vibration. I'm not again. I'm not really sure what that means. Let me give you an example. Okay. I'm just saying, if everything I experience is really nothing but a vibration, and uh, I uh, let's let's think of a like a, an evolutionary adaptation, like, um, whatever, like the, the, vi- the vibration that I experience when I, when I'm a, I'm a bird, I'm a, one of Darwin's finches trying to eat out of the flower. Okay. And, and I, and I, so the, the bird, the vibration of the bird is encountering the vibration of the flower and is not successfully, you know, able to eat from this flower that it, its body will adapt to, uh, that particular flower shape. And so that's what, that's the interesting thing about Darwin's finches. They all have these different tongues and beak shapes, all adapted specifically for different types of flowers. Yeah. So what I'm saying is if I encounter this vibration as a, as a, as a Darwin finch and, uh, it's not going well that I will adapt, I will physically change to be able to eat from that flower that all that is, if what I'm experiencing is a vibration is adapting myself to that vibration. Okay. So it's very hippy dippy. I'm just saying, I'm, it, this goes back to this sort of idea of uh, sen- sensation and, and illusion. If 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 I can't if I can't say for sure that the world is as it seems to be, and all of the science behind our senses tells us that what we're really experiencing is energy and vibrations from energy, then what the hell? What you know? Is there is there more to it than that? That's what I'm asking. I don't know. That's a, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but. That's interesting. I, it makes me think of something that we talked about in, I believe it was the psychedelic episode, the yep. uh, li- lif- lifting the veil of perception. Yep, I think so. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about the idea that what you experience as like your day to day consciousness is like a VR headset. Mm. Um, that your senses are not evolved to tell you the truth about anything they're evolved to help you survive in this like this vibrating soup of chaos you know what i mean interesting um and that there's nothing i don't know I, i'm not you, you, you know what i'm trying to yeah, say i do though. i do and you know what that brings to my mind is uh uh the, the, during the physics episode where i was talking about the double slit experiment mm-hmm. and the, the whole reason to bring that up is because it's the it's the um um it's the interference pattern that that they found in that experiment that was like the big it was like the big story it, that was the big conclusion uh, and i'm just you know trying to visualize what you're saying like um what happens when uh the peak of one wave and the trough of another wave meet they cancel them they cancel each other out they go away mm-hmm. and then if the if the trough of one and the er, a peak of one and the peak end of another meet then it makes it makes the wave bigger and if the trough and the trough meet it makes it smaller oh, okay. but if the trough and the peak meet it cancels each other out and to me it sort of sounds like if you're not in formation with the vibration of the universe that you run the risk of being canceled out that you run the risk of being disappeared 
Yeah. You know, and uh, that might be something like uh, like a symbolic way of talking about, you know, like a, a species going extinct. They didn't adapt properly to sure. their circumstances and they dis- they disappear. Yeah. Just like one wave meeting another and yep. disappear. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's I, I think that that's interesting, especially when you think about like I was talking about uh, your senses, what you're seeing being like that VR headset. It's like you're interpreting the data, all these vibration data, energy data that's coming at you. And whoever can interpret that data most correctly is the species that's going to, to survive. Yep. You know, um, and so far that's us. So far that's us. And I think the thing that makes us interesting is that we're the species that can change our own vibration. Like we're, we're the species that has control over our, the direction of our, of our evolution. None, yeah. of, none of the other creatures do. They just have to yeah. randomly mutate. We can like, we can like control that. Yeah. And we're getting better there, at that. That reminds me of a couple of things that I've been, th- I've thought about. One of them was from this episode earlier when you were talking about what was the, the word for hand, uh, for hearing uh, auditory transduction. <laughs> yeah. Auditory transduction. It's crazy to me that there were, you know, like cavemen, you know, mm-hmm. and then they could hear things. You know, they had the sense of hearing, but they didn't re- weren't really thinking that deeply about it. And then we've evolved to the point of abstract thinking where we have this sense and we're like describing it, and we've got this word for it: auditory transduction. Yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy. It is crazy. And it is interesting, and this is this is going to get us into the. Uh, and I don't know if I want to do this, but it's going to get us into the um, um, uh, postmodernism discussion. Yeah. Um, now I lost my train of thought where I was going with that, but it has to do with language. You know, it's like oh, uh, yeah, okay. we we create a word. Lots like, of crossover there. Yeah, we create a word like auditory transduction, and suddenly there's this uh, concept that corresponds to it mm-hmm. that didn't exist exactly until we came up with a word for it. Yeah. And it reminds me of like. Well, that's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It, just, it, it reminds me of Adam in the garden naming gotcha. all of the animals. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what I, What I was gonna say there is, did auditory transduction not exist before we put a name to it? Because I think that it did. Hmm. Like the phenomenon existed, but then we like understood the phenomenon and conceptualized hmm. it. But that's a that's an interesting point, and you're right. I guess where where I'm going with that is maybe something like this. When we're hearing, um, before we understand our hearing, hearing is like a part of ourselves yeah. that we can't we can't distinguish from ourselves. It's not hearing as a phenomenon. It's that we are a phenomenon, like a human being is a phenomenon, and part of that pheno- phenomenon is hearing, you know. And the moment the moment we separate that from ourselves and say no 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 no, it's, it's not hearing is not a function of a human being. It's this thing called auditory transduction, and here's how it works. And once you've done that, you've removed that internalized thing and you've, and you've brought it outside of a human being and it becomes this abstract thing. Um, and I guess. <laughs> no, I just, I, I'm serious. I, I feel like that's one way to look at it, but I don't know. I, I hear auditory transduction and I think of, I don't know. I, to me, that's not like separating from humanity. That is like um, just like a function of humanity. I don't know. Yeah, but do you think that conceptualizing it, that conceptualizing it at all, somehow, somehow removes it from your self? Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe more in theory, like you're pulling this part of yourself out and examining it, 
but I think in practice, we're all still humans. I, I, mean, I agree, but I think that once you pull it out, people don't put it back. And, and that's, what science, that's, okay. what, that's what modern science is. It's the process. Oh, I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. It's the process of removing from our experience every individual isolatable thing and then, ma- and then making it something, um, I, I don't know, I, I, and I wanted to like get poetic with my language, and I don't really want to do that, but it, it, makes, it, it, it makes it something dead. It, yeah. it once, it it's once, like clinical. Clinical. It was yeah. once alive and part of you and part of this system that was, that, you know, was complete. Now it's a frog you're dissecting. Now it's a frog you're dissecting. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly, something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I see exactly what you're saying now. I just needed to, like, tease it mm. out a little bit there. That, that whole, that whole um, like, stream of thinking mm-hmm. is not something that would, ever would have come to me before I had, a, like, a mystic experience. Oh, yeah? I was so much more like a practical thinker, you know, very cut and dry, you know, um, not a lot of gray. I, I wasn't a very, like, creative thinker or, uh, like, you know, very structured. And I just never would have thought of that. You know, now that you mention it, I mean, you've always been very intelligent and very, like, philosophically minded and stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess now that I think about it, the uh, the old mystic experiences has kind of, like, affected you in some ways, you know? Like, For sure. You're right about, like, the creative thinking and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It's true. Uh, you got one, Kyle? You got one? Uh, let's just keep going with your with the stuff that you're doing and then, you know. Okay. Ride so, this bitch out. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all right, how about this? Let's do... Uh, let's do this one. This one's kind of interesting. Let's All right, do so, it. so I pulled this. Um, I, to- I told you guys before I got these notes that I can rely on that go back years, a bunch of interesting information. Some of that stuff is stuff that I read in books or heard on a podcast or something that I wanted to remember. And here's one of them. There was a book uh, that I read called The Story of Human Language by a guy named John McHorter from the Manhattan Institute. Uh, I don't know what the Manhattan Institute is, but the guy wrote a book. He must be, he must be smart. Um, professor, <laughs> professor of uh, cognitive science or something like that. Um, he's talking about, I'm going to read this. He's talking about a different uh, researcher, a guy named Philip Lieberman. He says this, Philip Lieberman, professor of cognitive and linguistic science at Brown University, argued that the human, human larynx sits lower in the throat than in animals um, and that this positioning allows... Uh, a long, large oral cavity that makes speaking possible. Mm-hmm. Um, he supported this argument by noting that children, apes, and Neanderthals um, do, uh, do not have a lowered larynx. And at some point, the larynx comes down so they can formulate, co- formulate complex sounds. Um, and, and this is interesting. Even at the expense of safety, he says evolutionarily, um, speaking, the, the larynx being placed lower constitutes a choking hazard. So, so like a dog will never choke. Yeah, won't choke and suffocate, because the where their larynx is located, it's impossible. So what we did as human beings was we, uh, during the evolutionary process, I guess nature decided that it was more valuable for us to be able to communicate than it was to, you know, to to have the risk of choking and dying. Yeah. Um, by the way, over five thousand people in the U.S. die every year from choking. Damn. What do you think of that? 5,000? Over 5,000. Over 5,000. And just in the U.S. You all, you all need to learn the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard. Um, so this goes on. This, this whole, whole piece goes on to a different, uh, a different part of the story where I, I mentioned a language before in um, 
the Proto-Indo-European co context, like where oh. where these words come from. So here's a couple of examples that I wanted to bring up because uh, because this Proto-Indo-European um, people were trying to figure out. They knew that the languages in Europe were were related, like the Romance languages, they all kind of go back to Latin, and they, yeah. they they knew there was these connections. And when they found out. Um, Sanskrit in India yeah. like when they found out that it was also related. Yeah, I remember. I've heard about that. It's like before that they kind of attributed it to I mean, you look at all those languages where they know they're kind of related and they're all kind of right next to each other. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's going to be like, yeah, we picked up some of their words, they picked up some of ours, but then right. fucking Sanskrit comes along and you're like, what? Yep. You know, how's way down there? So that, what is interesting. And it's a very ancient language. Mm -hmm. So, so he, I, I got a couple of examples I want to share you, but just about this. So, how do people figure out that there was such a thing as a Proto-Indo-European language that um, that you can see kind of as the origin of all of those languages all across the world? So, here's an example: Proto-Indo-European. Um, they, they reconstructed the word "tick," T-I-K, and that's supposed to be the first word that we know about that means one, the number one. Okay. And this is the evidence for that. In Latin, uh, the word digitus means finger. So I'm going to point, bring your attention to the tus part of that, digitus. In Old English, the, the language that our, in German and our language kind of come from, uh, tehi means toe. In, in Africa, in the Sudan, tak means one. In Turkish, tek means only. In Korean, taki means one, like one thing. In Japanese, te means hand. In Tibetan, sing with a T means one. In Vietnamese, it's te, which means hand. Uh, in, Tas in the Tasmanian language, it's uh, motuk, and it means forefinger. It means the front of your finger. In Eskimo, in the, in the Inuit language, uh, uh, tick means, means index finger, specifically. In the Mohawk language, in another Native American language, it's uh, uh, tissy ear, means finger. And, uh, and another one, so anyway, the point is, all of these words, digitus, te, tak, tek, teng, sing, tang, matuk, all of these words that have this very similar sound, mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they mean something like the number one, or the, a single finger, or a single hand, and the, all of these words are related. And not exactly, they don't all mean one, but they all have a relation to either a single thing, or the way we used to count, using our fingers, yeah. or a piece of our fingers. Yeah. And so when you have all of those examples going back to, you know, Europe, Africa, Asia, you know, North America, South America, and you see examples all over the world, that's the kind of evidence that they use to say that there's a relation there. Yeah. And it goes back so far. This particular one may, maybe goes back to the, ver to the very beginning because yeah. you see it in every continent. There's a word for that. You know what it is you, when like a word in this language so and a word in this language come from the same root? I do know it, but it's not coming to me. Give me just a second. Yeah. Um, damn it. Go ahead. Cognate. Cognate. Yes. I always thought it was f interesting that the in uh, in Japanese, uh, thank you is arigato, mm -hmm. and in Portuguese it's obrigado. Obrigado. Yeah. And you know that's probably a coincidence, but geez, that's weird. That is weird. It's, uh, it's interesting because nobody knows the origin of Japanese. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's Japanese like, is very weird. It's one of these interesting languages that people don't have any idea. Dude, of. this is some of my favorite shit. Language and the history of language and the development of language. It's some of my favorite shit to know about and uh, read about and just talk about. I love it. Yes. Um, because it says so much about just the development of humanity. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, no, I, I agree. I think that, I think that people... People who have access to a bigger vocabulary can think more. Mm-hmm. Like, like ha- having the words to use and experiment with, they literally translate into you being able to think more comp- complicated, uh, you know, more complex things. Yep. Um, okay, so the thing about Japanese that's interesting is that it's um, it's it's not related to really any of the other language families in the world. Um, it's not related very closely to Chinese or Korean, although a little bit more with Korean, even though those are the places that are very close by Japan. Um, and, li- and listen to this. This is weird coincidences. And I, I, I mean, they don't call these coincidences. They, they, they seem to be pointing to them as some, some important uh, similarities between Japanese and English. So I'll just go through a list of these with you, just like I did before. Um, again, not, not related to any other language, definitely not related to English. The word mo in Japanese means more. The word mo? Mo. Give the, me some mo. Give me some mo. The word ne means not. Name means name. Miru means see. Miru like a mirror. Mirror, yeah. yeah. Tabaru means eat, like a table. Tabaru. Um, uh, at, atsui. Atsui means hot. Tabaru, I'm sorry, sounds like something that, like, Adam said, like, Tabaru. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, so, at, at, sui means hot. Hito means man, and so the similarity there is he. he we use yeah. the word he. And then uh, ku is a word they use to, well, they, they say feed your face, like put food in your mouth, but Cook. chew. Oh, chew. Ku okay. and chew. So, again, I just thought that was interesting, man. That There's is interesting. literally no known link between Japanese and, and even like Korean and Chinese, yeah. let alone English. Yeah. So you remember um, a couple, I think it was last episode when you brought up all of those stories and I was like, all of these are like related mm. to like white supremacist <laughs> mythology. Yep. Um, I, I hate that because a lot of that, it's like these white supremacist type people. I hate even saying that because that's not that's not really the case. A lot of it is just uh, like people who are interested and potentially proud of that proto-Indo-European heritage. Mm-hmm. They think it's interesting, and it clearly is interesting. You know? Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, granted, I do. I mean, some of these people do take it in a weird place. Like these are the 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 proto Indo European people are like the chosen rulers. They're like God's chosen rulers. Right. Over, you yeah. know, obviously that's getting fucking crazy. But yeah, I don't know. It's just all. I think that that stuff's very interesting, and I do think that there is kind of like a like a taint on it that if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you're a white nationalist. You think that white people are the best. Yeah. So that's interesting. Cause I look at that in a very different way. Like maybe like the opposite way. Yeah. Um, the fact that the fact that the, uh, proto Indo-European language and culture and religion is seen, um, trickle down to basically every major culture in Europe and Asia today mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that doesn't make, 
Proto-Indo-European superior to the cultures today, just like a bicycle made in 1800 is not superior to a bicycle made today. Yeah. You, you know, that's silly. But the other thing is, you look at the people in that Proto-Indo-European, like, map. Yeah. And it goes from Ireland yeah. all the way to India. It's a wide swath. You've got some very different looking people that yeah. represent those cultures. And I'll tell you what, very few of them are white. See, here's the, and this is where the actual white supremacist part of it comes in, uh, is that a lot of these people would say those people, like in India, where Sanskrit comes from, the people who spoke Sanskrit, they were like white people. You mm-hmm. know, they went down there and though the, the people who are the Indians now, those are like the people who inhabited there when the great Proto-Indo-Europeans came down and took, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. So I've heard that too. I have heard that too. I don't know that, I don't know what kind of like genetic evidence there is for that. Yeah. Um, but I do know that like the, um, uh, in Greece, like in ancient Greece, there's two cultures in the very beginning that we know about, um, the Mycenaeans and the Minoans. Yeah. And the Minoans, um, we know about them from Crete. Yep. And they were off the mainland of, of uh, Greece living in Crete. They had this advanced yeah. civilization. And the Mycenaeans were the Proto-Indo-Europeans. They, oh, they came okay. down into Greece from, from the north gotcha. and eventually took over the culture and took over the, the Cretans. And in fact, to, to this day, we, don't know, we, we still haven't translated the, the language in Crete. Uh, I think it's le- called Linear A. And the reason is that it's not related to Greek. So we look at it, and there's, right. there's, a, there's a language called Linear B. It's Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's uh, like very ancient in Greece using the same symbols. Yeah. But because they, didn't spe- they weren't speaking Greek, they, yeah. weren't, they weren't even speaking a proto-Indo-European language, yeah. we, we still to this day have no idea what that stuff means. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, so, some languages use the same alphabet we do but like if you hand me a book in it i'm not going to be able to tell you what the fuck it says no siree yeah, yeah. So. i mean just try just try to read russian and what is that well, Cyril- they don't, cyrillic or what's it called they don't use the same alphabet as us well though. yeah they, that's that's true there's lots of letters in there that you wouldn't recognize but there's like a strange looking k and yeah, a strange yeah, looking true. oh and you'd be like you know you could you could sound it out you might be you might be well you probably wouldn't be that's close. not been my that's not been my experience with russian like when I look at Russian and same with like Greek, I have no fucking idea. You know, like it's true. it's a completely different alphabet system. With Greek for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, f- I was going to say something else, but I can't remember what it was. Hmm. Language, language. Language. Uh, I've, been, I've, been, I've been listening to this audio book called The Master and His Emissary. Yeah. Um, the guy's name is McGilchrist is his name, the author. Fiction? No, nonfiction. No? It's a, a scientist that writes about the the brain, the right and the left hemisphere, oh, and all that I've stuff. I've heard about that book, probably from you. It's really interesting. I'm not through it yet, but there's a whole whole bunch about music. Okay. Because it's connected to the the way the right side of the brain and the mm. left side of the brain communicate with each other. Yeah. And it's really cool. That is cool. The guy's t- guy talks about it musically, so that would be up your alley. Where he says uh, that there's something called uh, betweenness, and it's like when you're uh, reading, when you're playing music or when you're speaking, um, that it's not just the notes that um, matter. In fact, the notes matter almost almost not at all. Yeah. It's the spaces in between them. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the silence in between the notes. It's all of these things. And he says the music comes from the betweenness. It comes from the relationship of the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It's a... Uh... I was thinking, because we're going to talk about, we're going to do some music stuff later in the episode, and, you know, we were talking about vibration and stuff like that. Yep. And I remember hearing Jordan Peterson talk about music before, and 
I do think, you know, I remember when we were talking about the psychedelics episode, we were saying, or I said that music is vibration. It's like organized, intentionally organized vibration. Mm. And, you know, vibration moves molecules and atoms and that's all we are. And like, I mean, that's kind of, that's like pretty hippie, you know, like you even said that in that episode, you're like, oh, we're getting hippie now. Yep. Um, but hippie as it is, I think that there's some definite truth to it. I mean, dude, so you know how like the like the really far out there theoretical physicists, like the string theory people, mm-hmm. what they say is that on the smallest scale, that that the the cosmos is made up of vibrating strings, mm-hmm. vibrating strings of energy, and that those vibrations become atoms, uh, or the or the components of atoms. Got it. That that the, what those people believe legitimately is that there's something some ethereal thing that they haven't discovered yet called strings vibrating strings and that they are responsible for the um i don't know what word to use they're responsible for energy and matter being brought into material being like you know behind those things behind the material things are nothing but vibrations yeah i don't know what it means man but it's really weird it's interesting uh, before I forget, we were talking about betweenness. We were talking about the the McGokris guy. Yeah, um, he makes a a, a a connection between music, the understanding the betweenness of music, um, to um, Heidegger, to the philosopher Heidegger, and Heidegger talks about um, human beings as a uh, um, uh, Dasein is what he calls them, and and by that he, he seems to mean that we're consciousness existing within consciousness, that we're being within, we're, we're beings within being is how he describes it. And he talks about how we have this weird ability of being able to put ourselves outside of ourselves and look at ourselves as if we're a third party. Like we, when we think about the future, when we think about ourselves abstractly, that we have this ability to sort of remove ourselves. Like I'm, like I'm floating above my body, looking down at myself, like I'm a, like I'm another person objectively. Um, and so the, he says that the relationship between, uh, between your consciousness and your experience of your consciousness, that that is also something he calls betweenness. And he, oh, okay. and he says that that relationship between your consciousness and your, and yourself somehow, that that is responsible for what we experience as, as being oh. it's, it's, so it's the betweenness of that, that is, um, that creates uh, being the same way that the betweenness of notes creates music. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. I obviously don't understand it well, but it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that there is something to be said for the betweenness, especially of like music and stuff like that. But I think I would lean towards more of saying that the, I think that the notes and stuff matter too. I think that, uh, and I think that there's like, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to like quote any of it for you right now, but I think there's science in how notes affect people. Like, re- remember that uh, documentary we've talked about, The Code? Yep. Uh, he's talking in that about, um, you know, notes of music and their relationships to one another, yep. like minor fourths and things like that. Yep. And I mean, that's like a little bit above me with, with the music stuff. I've, I've tried to, to learn that. I just haven't put enough time into it, but basically it's like, so if you had, you know, you've got the major scale, uh, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, you, yep. you know, so 
if you've got the major scale in C, you start out with C, and then, you know, like, I don't know, like four notes down is like, I, this is wrong, I, I'm sure it's not right, but that's like the minor fourth of the major note C. Okay. Um, and there's definitely science saying that notes affect people. Like, they call... Um, you know, certain emotions and things into people's minds. And, you know, you can listen to people who are more talented and things with music than I am who can talk about, like there's this guy, Rick Beato, that I uh, I talked about in the Tool episode that I did. And I listened to this one where he broke down a Blink-182 song. I think it was What's My Age Again. Yeah. And it, it was amazing because he did the Tool one and so much of that was above my head. Mm. I had no idea. Then I listen to the Blink-182 one, and I'm like, all right, I can understand some of this. Um, and, you know, he's talking about how in one of the, uh, like, extended kind of little jam breaks, there's this, uh, like, electric piano thing that you can barely even hear, mm. but it's, like, really... It, he's right. It, like, really does... Affect, it makes the song better. Even though you can barely hear it, yeah. it, like, really changes the song. So I do have something, of like, right along, along those lines that I want to add to that, but I have to go back to where you started, where mm -hmm. you said that you think the, the notes do matter. And, yeah. and I, I think the point, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but the point, yeah. the point that I was making is without sure. the silence, without the silence, that all of the notes in that song are static. Yeah, exactly. It's not music anymore. Yeah. It's, the, it's the silence that punctuates it, that makes it something. Sure. And there's something in there philosophically about how, again, I'll get hippy-dippy on you, but I'm going to, how, how non-being punctuates being it's important that the infinity of of uh the matrix of being what i would call god that it is that it's punctuated by by non-being by i don't want i don't want to get off track here because i do want to i do want to talk about resonance because you said before about how one note and then you know mathematically down the line there's harmonies involved with them with the math and you can understand a lot about the sounds based on their relationships to one another and that's really cool and i don't understand that well either but i have watched enough documentaries to, yeah. have, to have heard that talked about um with uh, stonehenge oh yeah i've heard that stuff too so for those people Very who, cool. for those people who don't know um they believe that the way the stones and stonehenge are arranged um the way that sound bounces off of them that there may have been like music playing or humming or chanting as a religious part of the ceremony of people going to Stonehenge because it does give you this weird feeling. And in particular, what, what they did was they brought in these speakers and they were, they were experimenting with different frequencies and they were just blaring out sound in Stonehenge inside the circle. And apparently what they found was once they got to one particular frequency that it resonated with the vibration of the stones yeah. And if you, and whatever that means, I don't yeah. exactly know, but when, if you're standing inside Stonehenge, when that happens, that you feel something physically, you feel a, a floating sensation, you feel a weirdness that mm. people associate with the spiritual like power of the, of the sight. Sure. And it has to do with the sound. Yeah. That, that very much makes me think of, you know, the hippy dippy stuff I was talking about where the, the sound, the vibration of the music it like alters you, you know, it, like it's changing you in, in a way. It does. Um, and yeah. And I mean, another thing that it makes me think of is, you know, so you've got these, this Stonehenge, this shape of rocks, these massive rocks. Um, and it's almost like, 
you know, it, it's it like amplifies the sound inside of it, you know? It's oh, yeah. like bouncing off of all yep. of these hard surfaces and it like amplifies it. And I just, you know, you said that it makes you feel like maybe you're being lifted yes, or something, something like that. Like that. I, have you, I'm sure, you know, you've watched enough ancient aliens to hear uh, Giorgio Tsoukalos talk about potentially some kind of alien technology that mm. utilize sound yeah, to, move to move these massive stones. Yeah, yeah. I know, I, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that context, but that's, weird. that's interesting. See, the you know, where my mind goes is that people who have psychedelic experiences or, or out-of-body experiences, let's say, uh, those, those types of people say that they experience they, a sensation like they're floating or that, they're, that they've been lifted out of their body. Um, so that's the kind of thing that comes to my mind. But that's an interesting point because you're right. They, they do suggest that it might be possible to use sound frequencies to move, to move heavy objects. It's yeah. interesting. It's weird. And I mean, I think that that's somehow all connected. Like the fact, you know, you were saying that you feel lifted like kind of spiritually or, you know, like you're being um, pulled out of your body. But, I mean, you're still like moving something and that's all vibration, you know. Um, it's just, you yeah, know, it's all how it's affecting. It's affecting you. It's just affecting you in different ways, you know. So so we talked about we talked about music in a lot of different ways so far. And I, there's a lot of interesting stuff with the math. Like that's my weakest thing. Yeah. When it comes to uh, like physics and stuff, uh, I wish I knew more, knew more about yeah, the math. I'm, I'm going to have to spend more time on that. But what comes to my mind as far as music that we haven't talked about, but we did once before, was the geometry of the notes. Yeah. So you remember we talked about the people who have like the speaker with the sand on it. Yeah. And they play the note and the sand organizes into a shape. Mm -hmm. And every single sound seems to have like a snowflake pattern. It has its own unique shape um and that reminds me of like uh, people have you ever seen people where they like in science class where they'll take the magnet and they'll put iron filings on, oh, a, yeah. on a, with, un, they'll put the magnet under it and then you can see the field the magnetic field that's invisible based on how the iron filings arrange themselves mm -hmm. and i just wonder about that like we know a note has a sound we can hear it you know we know that there's some sort of electrical impulse happening making me hear this particular this particular sound um, but that sound also has a geometry. It has a shape. Yeah. And you can see it within the sand when you, when you, you know, when you hit that button, uh, make that note and a vibration changes the sand into a pattern. What is that, man? Sound is supposed to be a wave. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the shape it makes, it's like a complex geometrical design. So how is a wave, this, this snowflake you know, this delicate snowflake shape. How, how is that? I, I just want, I wonder if that has something to do with like, you know, when you see a wave on like a, whatever that machine is that shows you it in a wave, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the up and down, um, maybe that's like a limit of technology. Maybe, you mm -hmm. know, like that's how that thing shows you what the wave is, but the wave is really like, you know, you know, it's like the, the VR headset. Like this is what we have to view the wave. Mm -hmm. And it's this stupid little thing. Interesting. You know what it reminds me of? It's like looking at a, uh, like a, like a two dimensional rendering of a three dimensional object. Yeah. It's like, if all you can see is the two dimensional, it's going to look like a wave. Yeah. But if, if you could only see the other dimension, then you would see it's this, you know, crazy some, shape. Some Plato's cave shit there. Ooh. And it reminds me of uh, Einstein, you know, oh. who said that, that space has geometry. Yeah. Oh, okay. And we can't, we can't see it. But, you know, what do they say? They say that uh, 
that uh, mass tells space-time how to curve and space-time tells mass how to move. That's how they describe it. So you have a heavy object in space. It warps space somehow and gives it a shape. Yeah. So that when uh, when other celestial objects are going by, they're gonna they're gonna follow the shape yeah. and you know orbit around the sun or whatever it is. That that there's a geometry to space and there's a geometry to music to notes. I mean, I don't yeah. know I don't know what that means, but it's it's interesting. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, what else you got? You got anything um, else in the notes there? I, I got lots more, but I um, let's see here. I did I did take a couple of pictures of uh, newspaper uh, news articles rather that I wanted to remember. Right? I wanted to remember not to forget. Remember not to forget. Yep. So I took pictures. It's the name of my first emo album. The first one says, "I got to ask you about this, man." <laughs> I'm looking at I'm looking at President Biden, PB, and the article says this: Biden says white supremacists have replaced jihadists as the most lethal terrorist threat to the United States. Give me a fucking break. I mean, to be honest with you, I really am not one of these people who subscribes to the idea that jihadists are a huge threat to the United States. Yeah. Okay? Uh, But the thought that white supremacists are more... I mean, I just think that they're both kind of equally ridiculous. It's more be afraid at, you know... I don't know. Do do you think it's... Like an article like this, I mean, we, we remember the um, hearing, hearing about the domestic terrorist stuff that when that first started co- coming out, uh, we first started hearing about that in the news. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, Biden announces that he's going to pull the troops out of Afghanistan. Yeah. So I, I'm just asking you. You know, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, I, I'm just asking if that is, let's suppose Biden goes in, he removes the troops from the Middle East. Obviously, there's going to be. No more deaths happening. There's going to be no more, you know, innocent people dying over there. All of those bad things go away because we're not there anymore. Yeah, at and least then, not due to us. And then suddenly, by comparison, we're not there anymore. So that so that all of the you know Islamic terrorists and all that stuff's not 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 happening. I'm not on our radar. Then you compare that to white supremacists. And even if there's any any violence or any you know asshole you know activists yeah. doing anything, yeah. By comparison to not being in the Middle East, that's going to make white supremacists look more dangerous, of course. My question is, do you think it's connected, pulling the troops out of Afghanistan and then putting the, pointing the finger at white supremacists? Um, I don't know that I think it's connected necessarily. Um, a, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to be pulling out of the Middle East. It, okay, so you said that Biden announced we were going to be getting pulled out of the Middle East. That's not what happened. What happened was we had already, I should say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Afghanistan. We had already, it had been announced that we were going to get pulled out. Yep. What happened was Biden pushed it back. That's right. To September 11th. So that they, I'm sure that that's so that they can make some kind of grand gesture, September 11th, give, you know, some kind of thing to tug at the heartstrings. Um, But September 11th is a ways away and we'll see, what happens between now and then? Yeah, it's it's that's interesting because I don't think we want to leave. I want to leave, but you know, I say we. Yeah, I don't think the people who call the shots want to leave. I think that they're making a fuck ton of money over there. Yep. Um, and I really think that that's pretty much all it boils down to. That's super. That's super sad. It's super sad that that's the motivation for it. Um, and it is. I mean, you got yeah. you got to follow the money, mm-hmm. and that that's that's where the you know the buck stops. Yep. Um, so you got like these. You know, you've got these companies that produce arms and 
planes and stuff like that yeah. that have military contracts that are making a bunch of money that turn around and donate big money to these politicians that are it's a it's a yep. terrible 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 situation. Yeah. But here's my question. Is it's I guess it's I guess it's taxpayer money that's being used to buy these weapons. I mean the government's or printed money. Yeah, or printed money one way or the other. Yeah. Um I don't know where I'm going with that, man. I lost my train of thought. It's a fucked up situation. It's a fucked up. Um, and the, the fucked upness of it and how long it's been going on is why I'm skeptical that we'll be leaving Afghanistan. We'll see how that goes. Um, but even if we leave, leave Afghanistan, we are all over the world. We are an empire, whether uh, the boomers want to admit it or not. I remember I was in a bar once and I heard this old guy, um, definitely a boomer, talking about... Um, how all these young kids today want to act like America's an empire and how acting like how that was. It's like, well, you don't know what an empire is, though, then, because yep. we're pretty clearly an empire. We are literally all over the entire world. Um, yeah, the, the only difference is that that we're, we're not expressly running, running yeah, the government in those places. Expressly, yeah. yeah. It's a, a puppet uh, situation. I, I have <laughs> a feeling the CIA is a lot more involved with a lot of these places that we're in than... They want people to know. And that's gone on for a long time. Oh, dude. I, I've got this book called Legacy of, Legacy of Ashes that I want to do a book report on just as an excuse to like sit down and read the whole thing. Yep. Uh, because it's fucked up. But um, that kind of ties into one thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, one of the points that I had, and that is Dave Smith was on Rogan. Did yep. you listen to that? I sure did. And did you hear about the controversy? Uh, yes. When they're talking about the, um, the vac the vaccinations and mm -hmm. Joe brought up his girls. Yeah. And he's like, if somebody comes up, comes up to me and they're a healthy 21 year old and they're like, should I get the vaccine? He's like, no, which I completely agree with Joe Rogan on. Yep. Um, and yeah, the white house like chastised Joe Rogan. Fuck the white house. That's fucking crazy. It's not the white house's place. Yeah. Um, boy, that's, Although, you know, I don't think it's the White House's place. I, I mean, Joe Rogan can say whatever the fuck he wants just like anybody. Yep. Um, but Donald Trump did criticize the mainstream media quite a bit. So, but I mean, I kind of see that as like, I kind of see the mainstream media and the government, at least the establishment government is just like one thing, you mm -hmm. know? So I don't know. Hey, when you listen to that Dave Smith episode, mm -hmm. did you notice, like I, I've been noticing since Joe moved to Texas mm -hmm. that um, he's been getting, he's been saying things that he didn't say before when he was in California. And when he, when he had Dave Smith on most recently, it was more, uh, it was more obvious than ever that he was saying um, a lot of negative things about, um, the liberal government in California yeah. in, in particular. Yeah. You know, he said a lot of, a lot of things about the homeless that he didn't, that he didn't say quite the same before. He didn't exactly talk about why he was leaving, why he decided to leave in the same way that he's doing now. Yeah. He's really lambasting the liberal policies that have, um, that are basically bankrupting the most beautiful state in, our, in the union. True. And, uh, and he's, and he's been saying it more like straightforward now. And when he, and maybe it was cause it was Dave Smith. Yeah. But that's that was the impression I got. I think that there's, you know, I don't like to bust Rogan's balls too much because he, you know, I like Rogan. I yeah, mean, I don't listen to him all the time anymore, but in general, I think that Rogan is a force for good. But I do think that Rogan also kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth, depending on who's on the show, Yep. Um, which is very annoying to me. But, 
you know, and it's annoying to me because I remember old Rogan, man. I remember Rogan from before he blew up. Yep. And it was a much better show. It was a more exciting show. Yep. You never knew what what the fuck someone was going to say. Lots of interesting ideas being talked about. And now it's kind of like anodyne. It's kind of just like, yeah, you know. I used to love Rogan and Duncan Trussell oh, for three hours. Absolutely. Just give me some of that. Hell yeah. And what whatever happened to Brian Callen, dude? He doesn't even, I don't Whoa. ever see Brian Callen on Drove anymore. Brian Callen got me too'd. You didn't know that? Oh, uh, that sort of sounds familiar, but, but, but Joe wouldn't avoid him for that reason. They're, Nah, dude, I'm friends. not 100% convinced of that. I, again, I don't, like, I'm not trying to talk shit on Rogan, it's, which is fucking stupid. He's this giant celebrity, and I'm, like, worried about offending him or something. But um, I'm not 100% sure that Joe wouldn't, like, a- at least on the show. Like, I'm sure he's probably still friends with with Callan. Yeah, but, of course. Um, but he's just not going to have him on to avoid dude, the, that's, the controversy? That's, that's what I'm saying with, like, old Rogan versus new Rogan. Old Rogan would not give a fuck. Huh. Um, and it and it was exciting. And now Rogan is very much like mindful of his image, maybe less so than a lot of other celebrities, like significantly yeah. less so than a lot of but other not celebrities. Like it used to be. Yeah, but back in the day, he used to be just like the hard nosed comedian who didn't like care at right. all. Did did Brian Callen lose his job on the Goldbergs because of that, or or it was is the Goldbergs over? It might have been I canceled. Even, I don't even know. Uh, okay. Well, he got a spinoff from the Goldbergs too. Oh, he did. Yeah, it was like his own show. I forget what it was, but um, I don't watch the, those kind of shows. But uh, dude, I, I resisted watching the Goldbergs for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but my wife keep kept asking, and I I went ahead and finally started watching it, and I ended up really liking that Cal- show. Man, Callen's a funny motherfucker. She, she's doing that with me now on. Um, uh, what's it called? Um, it's got um, who's the guy from uh, American Pie with the big eyebrows? Oh, G- Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy and his son have a show. It's like a network show, and it's got the it's got the mom from um, Kevin from Home Alone okay. in it. Um, anyway, do you, you know what I'm talking no, about? No, I have no idea. It, this it's it's silly, but it's just a show about a family who a rich like uh, a New York yeah. a Jewish family, and they end up getting in some dire straits and have to go live in the boons. Yeah. And the person who they interact with in the boons the most, he is the guy from um scary movie with the little hand. Oh yeah. That's the actor who plays the, like the, gotcha. like the hillbilly guy that's, it's all up in their business. Point is I never would have chosen to watch that show on my own. Uh, but after like begrudgingly watching like four or five episodes with her, I'm like, they'll ah. sneak up on you, man. Yeah. yeah. We, I talked to you last week about that show, the outsider. Yep. With Jason Bateman, it's a Stephen King. Don't don't waste your time. Don't. I mean, yeah, I oh. mean, I don't know. It, it it didn't. I don't know. It it let it was lacking. It left something to be desired. Mm. We'll just set, put it that way. Stephen King had a, had a couple of shows not long ago. Fuck on, Stephen King on uh, Netflix, a yeah. movie and a show or two. Stephen King's a fucking idiot. Uh, okay, hold on. I've got. Um, I've I mean, got, good author, but. Idiot. Oh, another thing. Go, go ahead. Oh, well, it's well, okay. I just have two more articles. Do you have something on this before we move on? No, I was just going to bring up that uh, that Rogan episode that Dave Smith said that he's going to run. He's going to make an attempt at the... Oh, yeah. That's super interesting and exciting to me. Yep. Because I'm not like... I, I'm not under the delusion that Dave Smith is going to win and be president. But you look at like this last campaign with Joe Jorgensen, who just fucking blew it in my mind. Yep. I mean, and even before that, like I, I don't have a... a a lot of the problems that uh, libert- a lot of libertarians do with Gary Johnson, but I also don't think he's like the best guy. I think he's kind of a dork. And, yeah. Uh, one thing I like about Dave is that dude 
you know, there's a bunch of debates and shit you can watch on, on YouTube of him, like, having serious intellectual debates. And I just feel like he's going to be able to get media attention by saying things certain ways yeah. and, you know, being controversial. Yep. And he'll, like, shape the dialogue of the next presidential election so in some way. That's, that's actually what I was going to ask you is do you think somebody like Dave Smith uh, would have the popularity that, w- that would be necessary to get a 3% um, Maybe poll because if he gets three percent of the vote, he gets to participate in the debates. Yeah, and if someone like Dave Smith was in the debates, that changes everything. Oh, dude, can you imagine? I don't even know who it's going to be. Uh, you know, I guess Joe, Bi- um, Joe Biden, and someone else from the Republican. But I don't even know what that looks like, man. Um, and, like I, I would have taken. Like, can you imagine seeing Ron Paul on stage with like a uh, run of the mill Republican on a debate uh, and? I mean, he'd just bend them over. He would. Um, if, if they let him. And that's the thing. The, the moderator may not let Dave Smith that's talk. That's true. Um, but uh, one thing that Dave Smith said on that about Ron Paul is that Ron Paul, while he, like, as far as the knowledge goes, he's sound. Like, you're not going to beat Ron Paul. Um, but he's maybe a little too nice. You know, he's a very kind, yeah. kind soul, Ron yeah. Paul. Whereas Dave Smith, he's a comedian. I mean, and he wants to go after the jugular. Yep. So I'm excited, man. I hope that Dave Smith gets the nomination from the Libertarian Party. Yeah, he should. Uh, he should. I, I think I'm going to join. I, I'm going to join the Libertarian Party it's again. To support Dave Smith? Well, I mean, to support the actual Liberty movie, m- move, movie, the actual Liberty movement retaking the Libertarian Party because the Libertarian Party is a fucking joke. You're right. You're right. When I first started following it, when uh, when my buddy Dave introduced me to the party, uh, maybe it was like 2006-ish, uh, it was a whole different party. Yeah. It was a whole oh, different yeah. party. And you said 06? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, I mean, like two years later, that that's when Ron Paul like made his first, well, not his first, but he did run that year, right? He tried to get um, the nomination? Yeah, he, he, he ran in the primary. I remember um, I had to... I, I wanted to vote in that primary. I wanted to vote for, for Ron Paul. Yeah. Uh, so I had to change my political affiliation from libertarian to, to uh, Republican, Republican or yeah. maybe, it, maybe it did it automatically when I voted. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that, that was when I, uh, you know, when my party affiliation got changed because I wanted to vote for yeah. Ron Paul. Yeah. I've, I had been a member of the libertarian party in the past, but I think I'm going to uh, again to, yeah, like I said, it would it would be nice if the people who w- went around using the name libertarian were libertarian. were actually libertarians. Yes. So for fuck's sake, Kyle. Yeah. I agree. All right, two more articles here. Uh, this one I I caught my attention because of something you said originally when we first started talking about. Um, well, you tell me if you remember. Warren Buffett says trading platforms like Robinhood encourage a gambling impulse. I remember. So, Talking about that when we talked about the GameStop exactly, stuff, yeah, exactly. So here's my here's my angle. Warren Buffett, fuck Warren, is Buffett. a multiple multiple billionaire. Yeah, who's made all of his money gambling in the stock market. It's fine for him. He's 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 going on the national media and saying that platforms like Robinhood, which allow regular ordinary people to get to to gamble or to invest with you know whatever money that they, they can afford to invest in. They shouldn't be able to do it because, again, it encourages the gambling impulse. Yeah. So not only is he saying, "Don't do what I did." Yeah. And he, like to your point about the whole GameStop thing, discouraging regular people from tra- from doing what you know institutional people and big money people are doing in the stock market, 
But the angle that he's using is to shame them, yeah. saying that saying that it, it encourages a gambling impulse and that we're that we're going to become addicted to it and, and lose all of our money and you know make you know make our family starve as a result. That's because Warren Buffett thinks that you're dumb and that he's smart. Um, and this just like look at this situation and you can find this same situation with billionaires all over the place. Just look at fucking Bill Gates for crying out loud. Like they want to control you. They want to be in charge of this entire motherfucker. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that there are some people, some like billionaire types who are a little bit more based, but like Elon, although Elon, Elon Musk takes a lot of money from the government for, uh, these, these projects that everyone praises him for. Mm. Um, but I still like Elon, but, um, yeah, I really do. I think that these people who are super powerful and super rich, they think that they, that's, this has been my position the entire podcast. They think that they can run this better than we can. They think they can manage your life better than you can. Well, you're right. You're right. When you've got somebody who's that successful personally, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not a far stretch to think that they would say, well, look what I've been able to accomplish compared to you. Yeah. If I were in charge, don't you think it would be better? Like the, that, that there is definitely something going on there that, that I think is true. Mm-hmm. But I also think that's related to that maniacal arrogance oh, that we kept sure. talking about. It's, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know what to say about it. It's ever present, man. It's all over the place. That maniacal arrogance. I see it since that term has been introduced to me. I see it all the all time. All the time. All right. Yeah. I got one that you might fi- find interesting that I got from radio lab. Okay. So here's this. It's an episode of Radiolab called Bitflip. 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 I would encourage you to check it out. It's really, really good. What Bitflip is about, do you remember this story? This was years ago where when they first started, um, well, not first started, but when cars, the computers in these cars getting got more and more sophisticated, they do a lot more, and suddenly people were finding themselves driving down the freeway and the accelerator gets stuck, and they can't get it unstuck, and they die. Mm. Do you remember that happened? Yeah, I remember hearing about that. There was like an old man and woman who called 911, and they're like, you can go and listen to this uh, tape of them. They're on on the phone with 911 saying the car won't slow down, it keeps speeding up, we don't know what to do, and then they just go silent, and they they both died. That that was happening, and I think it was... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to say the car manufacturer because I don't want to be wrong and I don't want to be sued. But huh. it, but but it was a major Japanese car manufacturer, as I recall, and that th- this story was surrounding. And this is what they said happened. They said that the computers that run those engines and monitor the car's function and all that, that they get bombarded, just like we do, all the time by cosmic waves from space mm-hmm. that they come in and they they're small charged particles that they just pass right through your body yeah and one of the things they do that they didn't know is that they will switch a bit from a one to a zero or mm-hmm. from a zero to a one that it doesn't always happen but it can happen so you have a computer and the computer gets hit by a random cosmic ray. That's crazy. And it changes a bit in the programming from a zero to a one. And depending on what bit they flip, that could be a real problem. Yeah. And that's what it was happening. Cosmic rays were flipping bits and people's cars were going, you know, as fast as they could into a wall. Yeah. And that, it happened a couple times and a couple people died. And then they fixed the problem. I don't know how, but they, they fixed the problem. So uh, uh, there's a second part of the story, but what do you think of that? Sounds... 
like the excuse for how that dude Michael Hastings died. You know Michael Hastings? <laughs> yeah, I remember that story. Yeah. He, for anybody who doesn't know, he was a journalist who exposed some shit over in uh, the Middle East and came home and got killed. Yep. Oh, well, supposedly he was drunk driving and ran his car into a tree, but... But a lot of people think there was some funny business going on there. Yeah. Was there, there was no evidence that he was actually drunk. I don't think was there. Yeah. There was a whole, I mean, that is a crazy fucking case. I, anybody who doesn't know about it, you should look into it because that's one of those situations where it's like you find out that somebody who, uh, that the police declared committed suicide, shot themselves in the head like five times with a shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, but I mean, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but that's what it makes me think of is Michael Hastings oh, car yeah. potentially yeah, a- getting hijacked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and anyway, the reason I tell you that is because first of all, I thought that was a super interesting thing. I had no idea that that, that's that, that could happen. Bit flipping. Um, but it's, it goes back to like a quant, like a quantum, um, um, uh, action or anomaly that happens inside the computer and it's just nothing you can Weird, do about it dude but here's where it gets interesting as far as i'm concerned and this is not from radio lab this is my own my own addition to it but all right so i thought that um there's a connection between cosmic rays from space changing bits from zeros to ones because cosmic rays from space also cause cancer in human beings mm. and what happens is the same thing i just described that happens with a computer cosmic rays come down Flip they, they make little changes to your dna yeah. And we and some of those changes are don't don't matter. That's but sometimes crazy. sometimes you flip the wrong switch yeah. and you have cancer and you're dead. Yeah. Now I I thought about this in terms of AI. Yeah. And and the future of evolution. Okay. Okay, so you have this thing where these ra- these random events in space are shooting out these particles that are changing our DNA. Now, we, we understand that our DNA changes randomly, that mutations happen randomly. Mm-hmm. And we know that they happen from, like, you know, stuff like exposure to, like, uh, you know, pesticides or chemicals or whatever. But they also happen because of exposure to charged particles from outer space, that, that, that these changes have been driving our evolution for hundreds of millions of years. Yeah, as long as we've been around. And here, here's the interesting thing. What happens when the singularity happens and we finally, we finally put our consciousness into the, uh, into the robot? Yep. Guess what, man? Bits are still flipping. Oh, that's true, and those, yeah. And those robots might, might... Can you imagine a sort of synthetic evolution that happens by... By charge particles that's from space. That's fucking crazy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's insane. It's out there, but I thought that was interesting. That's not out there though. Like when you like when the way you track that all out, I, I think that eventually there's going to be some kind of like symbiosis between humans and technology. I think it's kind of inevitable, um, you know, unless the asteroid comes. Um, and I think that that seems like an, an inevitability if that happens. You know, that bit flipping thing. You know, that, yep. that is crazy. That reminded me of a thought that I had had and you were talking about evolution early and even earlier in the episode than then, um, you know, humans are conscious of evolution and we change evolution. We, you know, selectively breed things. Mm-hmm. And if we see things as a problem, here's what I, my, my thought is that like, I can see humans having some kind of a trait and seeing it as a problem and genetically like selectively modifying ourselves in ways that like if we would have let that go that could have maybe been like a a useful thing Mm. that would have evolved into something 
very, you know, you know, and we're like, no, we don't want that. You know, you know, what's interesting about that is that it, it reminds me of maniacal arrogance again. Sure. Yeah. It's the, the idea that a human being would think I could design evolution better than nature. Yeah. So I'm going to do this selective, selective stuff and avoid any of the, um, natural evolution that might've benefited me. I, no, no, I'm going to take control of it. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to put nature on the, on the bench. It's interesting. Yeah. That's just a random thought that I had. That, that is you know. interesting, man. Yeah. Um, I got one, one more question for you. And then, cause we're coming up on an hour and a half. All right. I, I have one question. And then I think if you want, we could, we could experiment with music. All right. So here's the question I was reading. Um, I, I put out an, an episode on, um, Christianity from a mystic perspective. I have one. I have one that's I'm going to be releasing um, either next week or the week after, depending on what you do on Tuesday. Yeah, that's about uh, Hinduism. And while I was doing the Hinduism episode, um, I was reading a lot of uh, the Tao Te Ching from Taoism. So I basically decided I'm going to do a Taoist episode. So I've got that pretty much ready to go. Yeah. While I was doing all that research, I was reading you know, about all that Asian philosophy and Buddhism. And one of the things that they talk about is the middle way or the middle path. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have, do you have an idea what, what, I, what I mean when I say that? Yes, I do. Okay. So, uh, I think it was Aristotle who's, who's talked about the, the golden rule or the golden mean that, uh, the middle path it's, it's, you don't pick an extreme on either side. You, you stick in with the middle path and that that's the, and that that's the best uh, advice for everything in your life. Yeah. Pick the middle path. Hard disagree on that, but... Well, that's my question. This was what I wrote down. Can the middle path be the hero's path, the hero's journey? Can you take the middle path and have a fulfilled, you know, psychological existence? Can you be the hero on the middle path? That's a good question. I My mind kind of immediately says no. Mine does too. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. Just, I mean, it just seems like being, being careful and being moderate and being controlled will benefit you most of your life, but that there's a, there's a time and yeah, a place to be great. I completely agree with that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like most of the time being measured and being, that's gonna, that's gonna serve you well, but occasionally you're going to have to get wild. I mean, that's right. Yeah. Occasionally you're going to have to get wild. Yep. Yes. Uh, yep. As Carl Jung would say, identify with the shadow. You gotta identify you go. with the shadow. All right, ladies and gents, we, we're going to transition to our, our musical experiment here, which is this. Um, we got, a, we got a, a better way of playing the audio, and Kyle wants to do a little bit of talking about a couple of tracks that he selected that he wants, he wants to discuss. So I just, so basically, I am, I know that you haven't listened to a bunch of Tool, and I mean, I would like to do other things with music besides just Tool, although, man, I just find so much in their music that I love and uh, like moves me in so many different ways. Uh, but basically what I want is to get your in impression of them, especially, and these songs, one of them is not going to be the most like, uh, actually it is pretty lyrically like sophisticated, but not in, on like the same um, like topics that uh, I think would really do it for you. It's just a great song. And it kind of ties in with what you were talking about with uh, how Rogan was talking about how California is falling apart. Ooh. Now, granted, this uh, this song came out, uh, you know, early '90s, I think. So that's how long LA's been fucked up. But this song is called "Anima." Um, now, what does that mean to you? And you just mentioned Carl Jung, and yes. they reference Carl Jung a lot, which is exactly like that's I'm interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's weird 
how many areas of overlap there are between Tool lyrics and the shit that we talk about. Okay. So I'll give you my piece on Anima. Uh, I'll give you as best I can. Okay, so the first thing that comes to my mind is not Carl Jung. It's actually uh, kind of like anthropo- an anthropological uh, definition. And it comes from uh, a couple guys. There's this guy named, I think, E.B. Tyler and uh, Max Mueller and uh, Andrew Lang, these like really early anthropologists from like, the turn of the century. They talk, they talk about animism. Okay. So, and that comes from the same word, anima. And, and animism is a, like a type of uh, religion that you would associate with um, like Africa, tribal religions in Africa or, or North and South America where they worship uh, spirits. They see the world as imbued by spirits. Yep. So animism is basically spirit worship in, 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 a, in a particular way where the world is seen as basically made up of, of sp- spiritual components attached to all the material objects and, and people. Uh, animism. Got it. When, when Carl Jung talks about the anima, and I, I'm not the expert, Kyle, but I did read yeah, yeah. Archetypes of the Collective Unconscious. <laughs> and, uh, and he, in fact, lots of his um, archetypes to me I have a hard time distinguishing them from each other. So Carl Jung talks about the shadow, the anima, the mother, the father, um, these different types of archetypes that I really can't exactly tell the difference. So he, he talks about them having different characteristics, um, but what it seems to me he's talking about is what I call the unknown part of, your, of the self. It's the unconscious. It's the part of yourself that influences you that you don't feel in control of or even aware of that this is a part of you that you have to you have to what's the word he uses um you have to incorporate back into yourself gotcha um the other word that the other uh memory that pops in my head is assassin's creed is the uh, animus the animus machine exactly uh and you can kind of imagine that too because uh because in that game you've got the main character who's existing in the world real world who plugs himself into the matrix and exists in this in this other world yeah and this is kind of what i think carl jung would agree with like we exist in a conscious world like uh you know like the assassin's creed but we also exist in the unconscious world and that's the animus you know gotcha. we exist in both places okay and we're just not aware of of the part of our lives that ex- that is unconscious you know something like that um is that a good enough? Yeah, that's okay. a, I, I, excuse me. I'm not really, I haven't done too much research into, uh, to, to what it means. I, you know, um, I know that it's a, a reference to Carl Jung, but other than that, I really don't know a whole lot more about it. Well, um, it, you know, I mean, the, the only, I've said it before. The only other thing I can tell you, cause I don't understand it well enough either. Sure. Is that Car, um, Jordan Peterson, when he talks about Carl Jung, mm-hmm. he says that, and maybe Carl Jung said this explicitly, that the archetypes are like, like representations of instincts. Okay. So, oh yeah. So what the what the anima is an instinct for? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Um. But I don't know what what song are we going to get introduced to here? You said it's called. Uh, it's called an- anima. It's called anima. Okay. Cool. Um. So here we'll we'll just get into it. You might want to pull the lyrics up on your phone. Okay. If uh you know that way, you can read along with them. Um, so basically, we're just going to listen to it. I'm sure. So with copyright issues, I'm really not worried about it with 
just uploading podcasts. Uh, YouTube might be a little bit more tricky, but like I said, people do reaction videos all the time, and there are certain bands that you that they don't do, like Led Zeppelin. People don't do Red, Led Zeppelin reaction videos because they will get pulled and you will get a copyright strike. Mm. But um, a lot of bands don't seem to care, or whoever's in control of that shit. As long as you're like not just uploading a song playing and getting views and you know right. ad revenue and shit like that yeah so. it, it concerns me a tiny bit I, I mean I know that there's a I don't know it well enough and I'm not you know whatever but I, I do know there's a fair use clause that yeah. says if you're doing commentary you, you can do that so I'm hoping you know yeah. that that's kind of the gist of this but we'll yeah, see I'm not really worried at all uh, so but just you know to cover that we you know we'll, we'll pause it and we'll you know talk about it a little bit in between um but here we go. We'll just start the song off here. Let's see how this sounds. Fingers crossed. Is it coming? Yeah, it's coming. Uh, t- turn your volume up a little. Yep. All the way. All right. the first verse there um so what are your impressions of the sound of the song so far well i mean so what stands out to me is the a couple of things um the fact that the tempo changed so dramatically right after that uh second verse mm-hmm. and I, you could see i was getting into it there for a oh, second yeah. uh, but it did seem very slow uh, building yeah it did seem to be building and then um and then it, the the vocals to me they sound um, I, I, how do I put this? They sound a little bit, I don't, I don't want to say opera, but like polished in a professional way that you wouldn't expect from rock and roll, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think, you know, this song comes in and it's like there's some kind of like a breathing thing that's going on that mm. sounds like animalistic. It's like, uh, hey, hey. it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know how that plays into the whole anima thing and I say it anima because that's how I've heard other people say it mm. so it's just stuck in my head that way sure um, and, and then like so this for Tool this is probably like their biggest radio hit oh. like maybe Schism is up there too um, but a lot of like you notice like this song comes in and it starts with that breathing that animalistic kind of breathing thing and then it comes in with these like power guitar chords but then after that it it transforms into like this thing that you I I don't think a lot of people would expect from a a metal band and I think a lot of typical metal bands don't do stuff that sounds like this but in that part where he's singing where the vocals are for the chorus for the verse um the music is like 
not metal in your face. It's this bass, this I mean, it's uh, it's yeah, not yeah. crazy. It's not over the top. Um, and they're you know they'll go back to that. Uh, and I just think that that's one of the the more interesting things about Tool is that a lot of this stuff. You know, a lot of times you'll listen to this whole song and you're like, this doesn't sound like a metal band, but then it, it'll go to this part that is like this crazy aggressive uh, metal part of the song. So, so you pointed out that when the when the, I don't know if it's a bass guitar, I don't know enough about music, but when mm-hmm. that when there's that that kind of beginning part of the instrumental being uh, slow and a little bit like bass line, like, like a little yeah. bit like the underneath sound, yeah. that you don't have anything on top of it. You just have that sound, yeah. which is very simple sounding, and his and his vocals were slow and the lyrics were minimal and then as soon as the guitar that you you mentioned when the power strings come in and he and he the vocals change emotionally you end up having the more rock and roll sound that gruff sound yeah plus you get the lyrics becoming more more complicated with that you hear the hopeless fuck call what we call la oh yeah that whole that whole verse there so with the the lyrics to this you're right there there is like a correlation between the the lyrics and the music and, you know, it starts out when the, the, the lyrics are kind of sparse. He says, some say the end is near. Some say we'll see Armageddon soon. I certainly hope we will. I, certain, I sure could use a vacation from this bullshit three-ring circus sideshow of freaks. Mm. And that, then they kick into the chorus and it gets a, a little bit more um, aggressive. Um, you can tell this is a very, like, cynical song. You know, he's, be, uh, he's irritated. You know, this is not like a happy song necessarily. Oh, no. So, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any context until he says, uh, here in this hopeless fucking hole we call L.A. Yeah. And it, and it makes me wonder, is he talking about, you know, with the Armageddon and End is Near stuff, you just have to like, going back to the 80s, you just see like wave after wave of this in California, the acid rain, oh, the yeah. smog, the overpopulation, the mm-hmm. homeless people, the needles on the ground, you know. That- I don't think that's what he's talking about. Okay. And you won't either once we get more into the lyrics of okay. this. Um, so he says, bullshit three ring circus sideshow of freaks. And then it goes into the chorus. So it's sideshow of freaks here in this hopeless fucking hole we call LA. The only way to fix it is to flush it all away. Any fucking time, any fucking day, learn to swim. I'll see you down in Arizona Bay. Mm. So, um, you know, this is about, you know, not liking L.A., basically. Yeah. And uh, I, like you said, it's not necessarily about the acid rain and the stuff like that. It's more about the people. Well, yeah, I see that, too. But But when he says... We'll see Armageddon soon. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just reminded of all the different gloom and doom scenarios that the liberals oh, in sure. California continue to bring wave after wave into the public consciousness. I think I interpret that's a good point. I interpret it more as this is Maynard wanting this to happen, like bring, you know. Yes, yeah. I agree. I agree. So, OK, let's get back into and, uh, and him focusing on the three ring circus sideshow oh, yeah. freaks. To me, and again, I'm only I'm only making this connection because the next line talks about Los Angeles. Yeah. That he's talking about the fake, fake Hollywood people that are oh, there yeah. that Absolutely. that occupy that that city. Yep. All right. So we'll get they'll explore more of that in All the right. lyrics coming. So we can talk about this while it's playing too. I mean. Yep. like the music right now I mean it's like kind of chill you know you're right I 
I can hear the opera that you're talking right about. There, dude. Okay, so how do you feel about that that you know kind of verse thing with the fret for your figure and fret for your latte and yep. fret for your lawsuit? Just all this stupid shit. Um, well, I, so I, yeah. Before I say that, I do want to say you know who who else's voice in rock and roll reminds me of that? Not 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 the whole sound, but that that bit of it where it, yeah. it, it has that really polished sound is um, Emery. Emery. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Like post-hardcore band Emery. Yes, but if you but he, it, very unusual for post-hardcore screamo bands that Emery's got that voice, that powerful. It's, it's like you know somebody like um, uh, what's 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 Queen? What's Queen? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Somebody like that, which is a powerful, mm-hmm. booming voice that's polished, that's super well controlled. Remember that dude Johnny Craig? Yes, that dude had a fucking voice. Yeah, but a little little higher. A little higher on up the uh, up the octave. Uh, no, Johnny Craig had like a very wide range. He's like oh, really? in that in that genre of music. He's like my favorite. Mm. I mean, from what I understand, he's a piece of shit. But who cares? I mean, you know. Well, well back, so back to the lyrics here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I, so he he basically saying the same sentence over and over again with a bunch of different uh, with a bunch of different. Um, um, interchangeable stupid bullshit bullshit yeah so people fretting over their figure you know they're too fat um fretting over their latte their starbucks their you know, car either lawsuit yeah, yeah. The prozac the hairpiece just how shallow and uh um self obsessed people are you know in general but in particular in la yeah that's kind of what, what it seems to me and i've never been there guys i just you know but it does have you know you think about what la is and it's this place where people go for like I mean, good reasons, you know, there's like ambition and stuff, but a lot of it is very vapid, you know, it's very surface level. Um, So I think it's just interesting to me that, like I said, this song was, it's like from the early 90s, like 93 or something Mm -hmm. like that. So this LA is just, you know, forever been this uh, cesspool, apparently. So when when this thing is saying fret for your figure, fret for your Prozac, Prozac Mm -hmm. rather, fret for for your pilot, your contract, what what do you... I mean, because that, what that word fret seems to me to mean is something like um, obsessively worry about. Yeah. You know, like, be distracted by be is distracted kind of what by. I think of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Um, don't pay attention to being alive. Don't pay attention to the things that actually matter. Worry about your, your hair piece. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get, we went to the chorus. We're, I think we were... Yeah, this is. There's a lot of favorite parts of mine from this song. Oh, oh, but oh, oh sorry. Before no, I move good. on, the whole Arizona Bay remark in the chorus. This is the second time we've Hilarious. heard that. Yeah. So, so the idea, of course, there is that uh, that climate change is going to result in the ocean being right up on maybe Arizona. climate change. Maybe, maybe something else. Keep listening. Okay. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> All right. I think we got a little jam section here. Go. All right. I like it. I wish I would have listened to this more growing up. Yeah, never too late, man. I'm telling you. 
li- listening and just feeling the music and like just like move into it. Mm. It. Oh, we'll talk about it in a second. It's hard with Tool because they'll throw. Here we go. Sully drumming. You know, listening to the song this way is not the greatest because it's kind of interrupting the flow yes. of the song. Yep. But, um, you know, we're kind of, we want to break it up a little bit for copyright issues. And also, you know, I do want to talk about the lyrics. And one thing that I think is interesting here is this, that last line, mom's going mm. to fix it all soon. Yep. Mom's coming around to put it back the way it ought to be. Yep. What does that mean to you? Well, in the, in the context, for, we're clearly talking about mother nature. Uh, so I think, you know, he's making the illusion here to, um, just like anybody's mom coming in and spanking your ass and telling you to clean up your room. But in this case, he's talking about, uh, Armageddon going to be here soon mm-hmm. and that we all have to learn to swim and that we live in this city on the fault lines with the, with, the, yeah. with all the, you know, like that, that, uh, mother nature's coming to tear down this, um, broken, disgusting cesspool of, of a city. Yeah. And uh, all you motherfuckers better learn to swim. All you all you people worried about your Prozac and your contract and your car. Mom's coming around and she's going to let you know what's really important. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. So I love that. Uh, and that there's a, a Sturgill Simpson song called Live in the Dream where he, he says, the line is, um, that old man upstairs... Uh, he wears a crooked smile, staring down at the chaos he created. He said, son, if you ain't having fun, just wait a little while. Mama's going to wash it all away, and she thinks mercy's overrated. Mm. So that's like, I, I remember what, when I heard the lyrics for this, and I was like, that's like the second reference to Mother Nature like erasing things. You know, it mm. just like very, you know, called me to that lyric by Sturgill. Interesting. Um so these are some of my favorite lyrics in the song where he says, uh, you know, he's talking about the, the comets will fall from the sky, followed by meteor showers and tidal waves and fault lines that cannot sit still. And then he says, followed by millions of dumbfounded dipshits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fucking love that, like, man. All, all, all these people living there where, where all the earthquakes and volcanoes are. How did this happen? Yeah, what's going on? How do we get in this situation? So, yeah. that uh, And, you know, then he's... The, the learn to swim thing, that, that's like a refrain that keeps coming back throughout the song. So yep. uh, just keep that, keep that one in mind. Uh, but let, let's get back into it here. Let's just let this... Uh, there's going to be another instrumental, little bit of an instrumental break here, which would probably have more like get its hooks into you better if we didn't you know, like keep stopping it. Yep. Um, so listen to it later.
little jam break here. The bass in this section is like one of my favorite parts of the song. Mm. Learn to swim. Just mm. talking to you, gangster wannabes. <laughs> I love that. The load to swim. Yes. It's great, man. Praying for tidal waves. Up a little. These are important lyrics here. the end of this song basically. all right we've got a lot to talk about there yeah um so you go ahead what tell me give me your well i mean obviously he brings up l ron hubbard yeah uh, fuck so l. Ron scientologist hubbard. i actually brought up l ron hubbard in uh my last solo yeah podcast um just kind of an interesting coincidence but there you go um and all of his clones so he's basically saying that the people that exist in california that latch on to religious sensibilities to suck resources and control people just like any major religion only these ones don't have even the uh these ones don't have the um the, the, what's the word i'm looking for they haven't been around long enough to have have garnered yeah. that level of yeah of uh seriousness and then he talks about the uh fuck the hip gangster wannabes and i just have to imagine especially going back to when this song was released it's like gang culture yeah it's like la riots gang, right in there right that. yep yeah. yep so you've got these people that i i don't know man because of I don't know if it's if it's out of necessity or if it's sheerly like a cultural thing that that people um you know carry guns and uh you know get get involved with gangs and gang violence um but that they're not doing anything good for the, for themselves or for the culture by doing that that mm-hmm. that they're you know that that that's a sickness it's another one of the things that we've illuminated on this list so far yep. that things that are wrong with Los Angeles yeah 
Um, fuck anything retro is interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's just like fuck this like aesthetic, you know, um, this caring about the way things look more than the substance. You know what I mean? Um, do Do you think it means that, or do you think he's like? Again, we're going, we're kind of rewinding in history because this is maybe more relevant to today or more recent history. But the fact that people value like hipsters, they value retro things. So the idea is, yeah. I'm going to wear a dress that I, from the '50s that I bought from the thrift store, yeah. or I'm going to play my my original Nintendo rather than the the the, the current gaming system because I want to be cool. Yeah, exactly. That, That's- that if that if you are one of those people that puts a value in retro things that you're not moving forward you're not you're not doing that's something a, new that's interesting yeah i didn't i wasn't thinking about it that way i was thinking of it more like i said i'm gonna play my original playstation and you know wear these horn brim glasses because it's cool because right. it's uh it makes me different from all you fucking people yep. playing these awesome playstation fives yep i get that i get that too but i, I also think that that's i i like that interpretation i that that's why i love uh, lyrics like this because you can it's like reading a, a novel like a, a great novel like you can in, get a million different interpretations mm. from it it's, it's interesting because we are talking about poetry basically when, yeah. when we're reading these lyrics and, and poetry has that it has that function it, it makes you think and I actually brought this up in my last solo that's not been released yet where I start, start talking about some Asian philosophy one of the things I talk about is a strategy that that I don't know if this is offensive. I hope not. But it seems to come only from Asia where it's like, well, you might see some of that in the Proverbs, too. But it's something where they'll, they'll say something that contradicts themselves on purpose. Mm-hmm. So they'll say they'll say something like God is the image of nothingness, the form of the formless. And it's like that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But it makes you think what might be the form of the formless? What might be the image of nothingness? Now, just because I've read this p- poetic phrase I now have this engine churning out new ideas yeah, in my absolutely. head and it's like the point is not to make sense out of the form of the formless the point is to churn out novel thoughts yeah, you absolutely. know and that's what this poetry is doing yeah I, I I've had that thought about tool before it, because you can go online and you can find hundreds thousands of pages of tool fans interpreting these lyrics mm. um, and who knows if any of them are right on to what Maynard was thinking when he wrote those lyrics. They're probably not. Um, but that's uh, something I said in that I Know the Pieces Fit episode is that the thought and the attention to detail that they put into their music and this entire thing, it's like uh, it encourages thought about mm. it. You know what I mean? Mm. So there's this interesting question that comes up about the person who wrote the song, what they meant when they wrote the song. Uh, being different from what every person hears when they listen to the song. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I wonder if that's a sad thing that people are missing out on the intended message or if that's the purpose of art in general. Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. what it's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody who reads a, a poem or a book or watches a movie takes something a little different from it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that same guy, that McGilchrist guy I was telling you about, he said something interesting about music. He said that that when you listen to a song, that your brain will always focus on something different about the song. Mm-hmm. That it's, it, it's not even in your control. That like once you've listened to a song a bunch of times and it's like you've heard all the major stuff, you start picking up on little things you didn't notice before. Every time you listen to, and if you haven't listened to a song for ages and you yeah. go back and listen to it again, there are way, there's ways in which it's, it's a different song. 
Every time you're listening to it, your attention is focused differently Mm -hmm. so that the song is different every time. And maybe the interpretation is different every time. For sure, yeah. You know, it makes me think of, like, my mom and my grandma talking about reading uh, the Bible. Oh, yeah. And, like, how how they get something out of the message, and it's it's specific to whatever they needed in their life at that time. Yeah, exactly. So are those messages there or, or, Did or you glean them out of it? Exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's interesting. I think that's what art is doing, you know, yep, interesting, I agree. interesting. It is interesting. Um, I do love how, uh, you know, he'll give the, the, the list of fuck retro, anything, fuck all this stuff basically. And then after it, it that refrain of learn to swim comes back. Yep. Just like get ready. Get ready. Yep. 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 Can't say it enough. Yep. Um, then he gets to the part where he says, because I'm praying for mayhem, I'm praying for tidal waves. Uh, basically he's saying, I I want to watch the destruction of all of this. Uh, but then I said this when it was playing, then there comes to this point where, you know, he mentions mom, please flush it all away. Then he gets to the point where he says, time to bring it down again. Yeah. Don't, don't just call me pessimist. Try and read between the lines. Mm. I can't imagine why you wouldn't welcome any change, my friend. Yes. Um, so basically, it's like, yeah, you can write this off as me saying, I just want you all to die. Um, but really, I want you to have encouragement to be better. Yep. Um, and you're rejecting it because you don't think you need any change. You think you're the shit, you yep. know, like. Uh, why you wouldn't welcome any change, my friend. They're not, you know, like people who, people who are set in their ways, they're, they don't want change. They're not, they're, they're, change is not welcome. You're right. I think it's connected to this fuck your short memories line from, from up mm-hmm. above it. Maybe not, but what, what it reminds me of is like politicians. Sure. It reminds me of people that keep returning to the same failed policies about how to fix the homeless problem, how to fix the drug problem, because that stuff's yeah. important, obviously, in Los Angeles, that... They keep they keep circulating these old ideas and it, and and nothing and even though they don't work and they never have worked mm-hmm. they just keep revisiting them and people say like hey these politicians have short memories they don't remember that this failed in 1970 why are they doing it again yeah you know that that kind of a thing yeah I don't know if I'm reading into it but uh, I mean I think you're supposed to read into it like we were talking about before um, uh, I also think with the short memory line, you were talking about politics. I also think about the, the general public's relationship to politicians and politics. Mm. It's like they have a short memory, too, in the sense that they just keep voting in the same fucking idiots all the time. You're right. But, uh, yeah, so that's the first song. Um, you know, that this is not the most, you know... It, up until that point where he says, don't just call me pessimist, that bit, it's kind of like a straightforward fuck you. Yeah. I mean, the lyrics are clever and funny, and um, but th- the lyrics that I would really like to get into you with uh, uh, in regards to Tool are more, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, let's just, let's just uh, look up the other song no, that right, we're going to listen it. to. It's called Right In Two. All right. Let me pull it up. I'm going to pull it up, too. Right into lyrics. Yep, there he is. Stu Hart's Dungeon doing its thing. Stu Hart's Dungeon. No signal. Oh, I've got it. He yeah, I mean, it. I have it. It's just taking a second, but here we go. All right, now I'll pull it up. Right into. All right, here we go. Play it. Again, notice not your typical metal song for a lot of this. 
how do you think this is going? This is going better than than your first tool episode as far as the oh, audio. The sound goes. is way better, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully this gives you encouragement to do more of this stuff. I would like to. Let's take a let's take a pause. So I don't know if you I don't know if you, you have something to say here if you're looking for my reaction, but uh, I like this a lot already. Yeah, I thought you might. Um, it's uh, you know that last song is poetry as well. I mean, obviously, uh, it's words put together in like meter and rhyme, uh, so it's poetry. But this has more of like seems more imbibed with meaning than uh, anima. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I mean, the first the first two lines of that um, they're harder for me to interpret. But angels on the sideline, puzzled and amused, makes me think of um, it makes me think of just imagining an, a, a legitimate angel um, coming coming to Earth to help out the human race and looking at what we've become and what we're doing and how we're treating each other and behaving. And the angel looking at us like I don't even know how to help you. I, yeah. don't, I don't even know what to do. I'm puzzled and amused. Yeah. Uh, so. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You're that's just that's just okay. my interpretation of those. I, I imagine it, it kind of not necessarily them being there to help, but just like us in a zoo watching the monkeys. Mm. You know, like mm. um, I'm not here to help you. I'm just watching you. I got you. I like and, that better, uh, actually. Yeah. You know, and it is. You watch a monkey, and you're like, why is he doing that? You know, what it what is it a what is inspiring this monkey to do these things? And amused. I mean, you know. You watch a monkey grab a handful of its own shit and throw it at someone, you're going to be amused. You're going to be amused. Right? Uh, so that's the, that's kind of where I think of it as. It's like they're here, and they're just like, what the fuck is going on? Oh, yeah. You know, um, why did Father give these humans free will? Now they're all confused. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not – you know, we've talked about this before. I'm not 100% sure that we have free will, but un- operating under the assumption that we do, it is like – it's like, why – why do they need this? It seems like they'd be better off without it. So my, so where my mind goes on this line is, is well, it's kind of to Carl Jung. So, um, so well, actually, let's, I'll talk about this from, like, from Jordan Peterson's perspective because he, he talks about like, um, like an animal, like a deer. Mm-hmm. A deer is conscious, or a dog. A dog is a conscious, a living being. You, you would definitely agree uh, a dog is conscious. Maybe not to the same level as a human being, but it's, it's conscious. Yeah. Um, the thing about an animal is that an animal is a slave to its instincts, and that means that it always knows what it should be doing. What it should be doing is reacting to what's immediately in front of it, and it has no choice in the matter. Sure. A, an animal acts as its environment and, uh, uh, you know, its, its immediate um, feelings would mandate. A human being, on the other hand, can think about that and can... Um, 
you know, can can resist responding to its instincts and do what it wants. And that is something that you would call free will. Yeah. You know, if, if I if I'm a if I'm an animal that's responding to my instincts and my surroundings, I don't have a choice. If I'm a human being, I can I can have the same you know circumstances and mm-hmm. and still make a choice. That makes me confused. A dog is never going to be confused. A deer is never going to be confused. A human being is almost always confused. Perpetually confused. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I wonder if that I wonder if that is a call for human beings to live more like more like an animal to to respond more to its instincts yeah. and to be more in its that's a great that's great advice you know i don't know but if that's what it means but it just i wonder uh i think if it calls it to your mind then that's the point you know mm. um yeah maybe maybe so maybe that's advice for myself yeah uh you know then it, what i have it has this labeled as the chorus but I, I really don't know if this is the chorus but it says don't these talking monkeys know that eden has enough to go around Plenty in this holy garden, silly monkeys. Where there's one, you're bound to divide it right into. Mm. So, uh, so what do you think of that last line? Divide it right into. Where there's one, you're bound to divide it right into. What What do you think that means? Um, I just think of like a, a schism. You know, like it. it you know, it, it's like this is like a criticism of the human race from these angels. And they're seeing it as you guys can't help but uh, but fight and argue. You know, you're going to be where there's where there's one where there's unity. You're going to break it up. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. You know what? Well, along those lines, what comes to my head is I can't remember where this story is, but you probably remember this from the Bible, where the two women were claiming the baby was belonged to, to oh, them. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and the judge decides that to solve this case he's going to cut the baby, baby in half, half and give yeah. half to one mother and half to the other and why did why did he make that suggestion Kyle um because he liked cutting babies in half he was a sick be, fuck because the real yeah. because the real mother would be so concerned let that he would say baby. let her have the baby yeah. and that's how the judge knows so that that comes to my mind about, yeah. about you know where where there's one we're going to divide it in half like there's a selfishness component another thing that it calls to my mind is because he's kind of in this this part he's saying Eden has enough to go around. There's plenty in this holy garden. Mm. Uh, and mm. then I think about Jesus dividing the loaves and the fishes. Mm. It's like, you know, I kind of started there with that negative interpretation of where there's unity, you're going to break it apart. That's your nature. Um, but actually in the context, I feel like maybe this is a more positive reading of it is, is that there is a bounty. There's enough for everyone. I, I agree. I agree. And you know where my mind goes here? And I don't know if this is their intention, but when it says when there is one uh, that you're bound to divide it in two, what this reminds me of is the mystic experience. So mm. when, when, when it says when there's one, that word one, again, it's, it goes back to young two with, a, with the circle and the wholeness. Yeah, that one, that one denotes God. It denotes the matrix of being because everything is one in the mystic experience. And that reality, like the material world, comes from dividing the one into many things. Oh, okay. So so the understanding of being as God is like understanding um, all the things that exist in the world as being fractured bits of God. Okay. And that the real thing is everything altogether back in, in one form. Got it. But it wouldn't exist. Being wouldn't exist without fracturing the one. Got it. So it's kind of like, I don't know if this is what he means, but it's kind of like saying when there is one, it must be broken down and divided, that that's important to the 
to the foundation of reality. Sure. Something like that. Without breaking, breaking that beam of light apart, you're not going to have a rainbow. Mm. Um, but yeah. All right. So let's just get back into the, listening to this. Again, not the most metal song you've ever heard in your life, right? No, it's not, but I'm digging it. And that song we played before last that you said was their most popular radio song? One of them, yeah. Never heard it before. Oh, yeah? Never. I like all the subtle percussion. Oh, yeah. angels on the sideline yep yep um where does your mind go where do, where do you where do you get like pulled in on this one um so this i feel like you know that first one when they're talking about where there's one you're bound to divide it right into i said i can maybe jumped the gun on that a little bit and put a negative spin on it this one seems to be more of a negative spin on on that whole concept um you know but father bless them all with reason and this is what they choose. Um, well, that's just like not understanding, you know, why we would choose to not appreciate the gift that we have uh, of human existence mm-hmm. um, and choose to fight over a bunch of stupid shit. It also makes me think of something I said before, but it's actually for another Jordan Petersonism, where he talked about reason being. Um, capable of forming fully self self consistent logic that is wrong. Oh yeah. So so like the, like he talks about the Nazis. You you got these people you you know that have these ideas that you can tie together. Everything makes sense. It's logically consistent. It convinces people and it's wrong. Completely, completely wrong. wrong. Dead wrong. Yeah. So we so the God so Father blesses them with reason. So we have this great gift. Oh and, that's and great. What do we use it for? We convince ourselves of something wrong. Yep. Something deadly. Um, where, That's good. I love that. Where where my mind goes is the line about give them thumbs, they make a, they forge a blade. Yeah, and uh, and I'll tell you why. When I read that, give them thumbs, they forge a blade. It reminds me of two stories. One story is Prometheus from the Greek religion who comes and gives fire to, to mankind. Yeah, and what what human beings do with that fire is they tame nature. They make they make weapons so they can hunt and protect themselves. They cook their food so they don't get sick. They they civilization is born from that yep. Prometheus giving the fire to man. And that story is basically the same story that we get from a apocryphal book uh, called the book of Enoch, which is, it's not in the Bible, but for a very, really long time, it, it was in the Bible in parts of the world. And it's, it's, it's very ancient and awesome. It's an awesome story. If you don't know the book of Enoch, the story goes that the angels came down and gave and taught human beings, all of the secrets 
of the gods. So it was things like the god, the god, the the angels taught human beings how to figure out which roots and leaves could they could be used for medicine, and they immediately t- turn around and make poison with it. Oh, okay. They, they teach human beings how to make uh, implements from metal, how to make metal to farm and all this. Sure. They immediately make weapons and kill each other with yep. it. So the story of of uh, Prometheus and the story of the, in the Book of Enoch are both saying the same thing that 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 the sort of the supernatural realm gave these gifts to mankind that we used in exactly the wrong ways. And in the book of Enoch, it leads right up to the flood where the world gets destroyed. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, that's, you know, like the same thing, you know, not those specific stories, but just kind of the same thing that's called to my mind. Uh, you know, when there's one, they're bound to divide it right into, uh, you know, if this guy's got, got weapons, this guy's got to have weapons, yep. uh, you know, and, mm. and as a libertarian, I'm not necessarily against the proliferation of weapons. Uh, I think that we should proliferate those motherfuckers all over the place. Are, but are you saying if he gets a window from a glass, I must, I get, must the get the, if he gets a clock radio, <laughs> he cannot afford great success. A <laughs> uh, little Borat references Borat. for you. You got it. All right. So, yeah, let's see. Where were we? All right, let's just go, let's just jump back into listening to it. Let's do it. You mentioned the drums earlier. There's going to be a nice little drum interlude coming. I think killing monkeys is where HIV came from. It's true. Just putting that out there. just talk over this yeah. a little bit for the time being. Uh, what do you think about that last verse? Um, repugnant is the creature who would squander the ability to lift an eye to heaven, conscious of his fleeting time here. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, that's like a very poignant line for me in the song. So this reminds me, guys, if you if you uh, can Google this, there's a uh, piece of art by Alex Gray. Uh, and I'm, I'm struggling to think of what it's called. Maybe it's called Wonder. And it's just this picture of a boy. Um, and in, like in, in Alex Gray fashion, it's like the boy, but you can kind of see inside of his, um, you can see his bones and, and mm-hmm. muscles and stuff inside of his face. And he's staring up at the heavens and you can just see like the big glowing full moon. And it's just this image of this boy staring up in wonder at the moon. And it, it makes the hair stay. You see those goosebumps mm-hmm. on my arms? Yep. It makes the hair stand up just thinking about it. Oh yeah. So that's the power of art. But that, that feeling of wonder, that is such... I would say a spiritual feeling, but people don't think about it that way. But it's like the first time in your life when you're when you're confronted with something that you can't understand, but, but you're completely overwhelmed by the beauty of it and the and the meaning uh, that it holds, but you don't know what the meaning is. That that feeling of wonder—that's what comes to mind when I read that 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 image. 
So, gotcha. if you, so if you guys look that up, you'll see what I mean. That's, yep, that's interesting. Um, I, I knew that that line, repugnant is a creature who would squander the ability to lift an eye to heaven, conscious of his fleeting time here. Mm-hmm. I knew that line would be uh, of, of interest to you because it's just a very well-written lyric. Yep. Um, and if we're, the, if we're the creature that knows that we have limited time on this earth, we have no, we're, the, we're the ones that have the least excuse yeah. squandering our, our time here. That's a good point. Uh, what do you think this bridge part where he says cut it, cut and divide it all right into, he says it a few times. Um, what, what does that, I mean, what's that mean to you? Cut it on, cut it and divide it all right into. Apart from what I've said already, um, what, what do you think? I don't know, man. It seems like it means different things throughout the song. Yeah. Gotta divide it all right into. Um, I don't really know. I don't know what the overarching part of that is. I do, which I do know what you mean though about uh, using the same phrases and have different contexts based on the verse that followed it or that preceded it. Yeah, I do. I do pick up on that, but I'm just not sure that I have anything more to say on. I don't it. either. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I mean, uh, I'll tell you that Maynard is great at that. Dude, he is one of the best lyricists in in music. I mm. think um, it, it's all. A lot of it is just so cleverly written. Uh, is a smart dude. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So we're getting into a part now that's going to be like an extended instrumental break. Um, and I think we're just going to let this whole thing play through. Uh, and I will be interested to know how you feel about the actual music and the way it's making you feel in this, because like I said earlier, this is not so far been a very typically metal song. Mm. Um, so let's just see yep. how it goes from here. Let's do it. drum reminds me of Godsmack again. Dude, this Danny Carey is the drummer from Tool and he's like a virtuoso drummer. He's incredible. Uh, you can watch footage of him playing one of the, their newer songs, Numa, and it's incredible. This 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 band has a a jam kind of a thing going For on. Sure. But it's in, it, but in in a non-traditional package. It's interesting. Yeah, you think a lot of jam bands and you think of like the Grateful Dead and yeah. stuff like that. I wouldn't even necessarily call this jam because it is like pre-written and yeah. you know a lot of that jamming stuff it's kind of in Improv. the moment. I got yeah. you. I got you. Uh, but I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. So this is a nice little extended tribal drum break. See, and, and that's the thing about this melodic drumming and even the even the how it picks up that that type of thing has been used for thousands of years to put people in trances yeah, absolutely and if you listen to music seriously you know what i mean yeah. it, it will put you in a trance especially if you're doing it with a bunch of other people for sure you can hear it starting to pick up a little fuck here. yeah Both of these songs like unusually long, Kyle. All two of the songs okay. are. <laughs> mm.
the drums, man. My foot's a tapping. So I, t- I told this to my wife the other day is that I tap my foot a lot when I listen to music. Yeah. And it's a habit from when I was in elementary school and middle school and I played in the band. I played trombone. Oh, yeah. Gotta keep that time, baby. Yeah, baby. listening to this way louder (laughs) Mm. oh that's interesting That's that's basically yeah yeah go ahead the go gist ahead. of this. Yeah, go ahead and pause this one. I want to tell you what I think here because this whole angels on the sideline thing has been going through the whole song. But mm-hmm. but here's what I noticed in this last verse it says um, angels on the sideline again and then it says benched along with patience and reason. Yep. So this is what comes to my mind. First of all, earlier on we we we, we heard the angels were sidelined. Yep. But. But now we're using the word benched, which, which makes it sound like I put the angel on the sideline. Yeah, you're out of the game. I said, nope, not, not today, sir. Yep. But I also did that with my patience and my reason. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so there's definitely a different feel that, that, that we are doing this to ourselves. It also makes me think of the angel on my shoulder and yeah. the devil on the other oh, shoulder. Sure. That I've benched that motherfucker, that, that, the good one. I've benched yep. the good one, and, I'm just fo- and I've just left the, the devil. Absolutely. That, that's what comes to my mind. How about you? It, that was the same thing for me. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, the better angels of our nature. Yep. Uh, and I just can't help but think that patience and reason are some of the better angels of our nature. And we're like, no, you're not in for this. On the bench. Yep. I agree. Um, so... Yeah. Angels on the sideline wondering where this tug of war will end. I mean, so, and, and, yeah, and then that also reminds me of the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other, and there's a tug of war yeah. between yeah, those, exactly. those opposing forces, and, and that's interesting, man. Yep. But, I mean, that's basically the entire song. The rest of it is just the cut it and divide it all right into... Um, so how did you think the music experiment went today, Kyle? Um, I thought it went pretty good. I'm going to have uh, to go back and listen to this before I'll be able to tell you for sure, but I, I was fun. Yeah, I think that uh, we got good content talking out of talking about the lyrics, and that's mainly what I, I mean. I do like listening to the songs, but the stop and start of it kind of like robs them of some of their the punch, gotcha. uh, you know? Yep. Um, but I also don't just want to like come on here and like read the tool lyrics. You know, I think it makes it a little bit more fun yeah. to actually listen to it. So maybe the next time we do this... You can pick out, like, musically, the stuff you think's interesting, mm-hmm. clip that out, and then we'll play only those pieces and talk to the rest. And then it, we won't have to stop the flow so much, stop and start the flow. What do you mean, cut out the I, stuff that I think is musically interesting? I'm well, not sure what you mean by that. Like, you want to talk about how the timing changes, oh, or you sure. want to talk about uh, the drum solo? I'm not going to get too... When we do this kind of stuff, I'm not going to get too... Uh, into talking about that kind of stuff, uh, the like the technical aspect, mainly because I don't 
know it well enough to do that. You know, yep. uh, I'm just I just want to talk about the lyrical themes and stuff like that. And just like as far as the music goes, general impressions, how it makes you feel like I do want to talk about, you know, the most of the song was pretty laid back. And then we had that musical break where things got significantly more intense. Yep. And Tool is great at that. Yes. Um, and I was just what, like, how did you feel about that? That that where it like fucking kicks I, in. Well, you know? you, you, I mean, the audience can't see me. You can see me. Oh yeah. You know how I enjoy that. Yeah, my fist, my fist gets pumping, oh, yeah. and I can anticipate it because I've listened to enough music, right? So I know where the crescendo is building to. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm like, here it comes. That's interesting to me. That that. You know. Another Jordan Peterson reference, uh, and not just Jordan Peterson. This is stuff I've heard a lot of people talk about. But humans are particularly good at noticing patterns and yes. things, and that's like an audible pattern. Like you know that it's coming, and that all has to do with like that, um, like major scales and stuff. There's something about that major scale that's like built into mm. the human psyche. Like you just, you feel it. You know it for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I don't, and yeah, I don't know if that's. I think it's there's, there's probably more pattern recognition, but the thing the thing about it is even when it's like not a typical cadence or a typical because you know how like like every popular song that's that's popular you know on top forty radio follows the same pattern. Yeah. People know how many verses to expect, how many choruses to expect. The chorus will be identical every time. There's a certain structure. Like even when that's not what's happening, like like with a tool song, somehow you still know. You have an intuition that this is where the crescendo is building to. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's yeah. interesting. Uh, and some of that stuff, you you can tell where it's building up to because it's like so obvious the tension's fucking building and yeah. it's about to break, you know? Yeah. One thing about Tool, though, is it's like a lot of times, you know, when you listen to music, you start like nodding your head and tapping your foot. And with Tool, you'll be doing that. And then They'll like, change it it up and you're like, you look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, so that's something that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about technical stuff. I've basically, I've got one more Tool episode left in me. Okay. And it is because, I mean, the songs are great. They're like some of my favorite Tool songs. But I want to get your reaction to the music videos for yeah. a song called Vicarious. Okay. And a song called Parabola. All right. That's um, a great idea. So we're going to do that eventually. We'll do that. Um, we don't even have to get it to where we can watch the music video. You can just like watch it separately. I mean, I want to watch it with you. Well, we can't, we can watch them here. Um, you know, I could watch them here. I would just have to, maybe I could just mute the audio. We can watch the visuals and talk while it's playing. I don't know if I'm going to, if I'm going to miss out on, on not, I mean, that's it, not a bad idea. They actually, like, if what you want to talk about is the visuals. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would like to talk about the, the lyrics and stuff too, of those songs because okay. they are interesting. Ooh, let's do this. Let's do this. You have the lyrics. All right. I don't have them. Okay. We wa we can watch the video. We can stop it. We can talk about it. Where you know the behind the scenes. You know what the lyrics are corresponding to, but I don't. Sure. That might make the conversation interesting because I'm Maybe. like, this is what I think, and you go, well, you know, this is what, this yeah, is yeah. what goes with it. See, that's interesting because with the there's a lot of the stuff in those mu music videos where I'm not sure what the fucking correlation to the the lyrics. Oh, is. I see what you mean. You know, I I'm sure there is one. Um, but it's over my head. Mm. Uh, and when we watch it, you'll know exactly why I mm. wanted you to watch it. Okay. So. All right. Well, this is officially the longest podcast we've ever done. 2.30 is the longest? I think so. Yeah. At least it's the longest one we've ever done together. Uh, and it, and it's, it's partly thanks to those two Tool songs took 30 minutes to get through. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're probably seven minutes long a piece or something. Yeah, but yeah. 
I think Tool's most recent album, every song is like 10 minutes long. So Terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else, buddy? You? No, not really. You know, well, I'm interested to listen to this and see how it went. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to listen back to this. Let us know what you think. If you guys like more of this, uh, I think Kyle would probably like to do more of this sort of thing. And, you know, we can do it together. I, I, I am excited about being all able to play not just music, but like audio clips yes. and stuff. That's going to open things up for sure. We got to get Matt on here to talk about music. Fucking A, man. That'd be so fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of this podcast is and has been, you know, concentrating on like intellectual stuff. Um, but I do, I, I value like, you know, pop culture and stuff like that too. And I, I value the way that the philosophical stuff affects that culture. Uh, so, I mean, I would like to talk about more of that kind of stuff for sure. Absolutely. So. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. Uh, we'll do some of this music stuff again, maybe with Matt. Maybe we can do a little bit of that, buddy. Yep. Okay. Hopefully. Peace out. Peace. Peace from uh, Chris and Prison Mike. Prison Mike. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work. Thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.